Welcome everyone. Wow, that was really loud. <laughs> that was really loud. Um, so welcome. Today is uh, September uh, 14th, 2020. Pretty, um, pretty exciting day. <laughs> it's almost Constitution Day or Citizen Day or whatever you want to call it day, which is pretty interesting. Uh, I had fun this morning. I went to church. I had communion, so I'm excited about that. And you know, I thought of something at church uh, that I, I, I wanted to tell you guys at the end of uh, today's show, which was a, a quite interesting observation. So uh, today is the elevation of the cross. It's a, um, we celebrate. Uh, the cross and and what it means uh, when um, Jesus was crucified, and I mean I've been to church all my life before I could even speak. I was being taken there, and it's the first time that it dawned on me. Whoa, forty two years later, right? How weird is that? So let's start with today's news. I think we should start with the stimulus relief um, and uh, what the Democrats are doing to not give a stimulus, uh, which is uh, quite important uh, and interesting to hear uh, because, uh, you know, they've thrown away the elections. They know they lost. They know that they have lost and um, they're just doing everything to cause the people more harm only to aggravate them, you know, because elections are around the corner. Take a listen. The economy is not the leading issue for voters. It comes third, actually, behind the virus, government, poor leadership, and then the economy. Look who's here. Stephen Moore, member of the President Trump's Economic Recovery Council Task Force. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the economy is not the primary issue facing the electorate today? I'm not buying it, Stuart. Uh, I do think, obviously, the virus is maybe foremost on people's minds. So that's a huge issue. But I think it's the, the two issues that matter most right now, the American people are obviously jobs and, and their personal finances, which is the economy, but also progress being made on the virus. By the way, nobody in the media is reporting this, but the, the progress just in the last few weeks in terms of reductions in caseloads and hospitalizations of uh, of the uh, from coronavirus have yes. been remarkable. Not, we haven't seen anything like it, and nobody in the media is reporting that. That's good news for Trump. The other issue, by the way, that is going to be critical, Stuart, is, is what you were just talking about: public safety. You know, j just anecdotally, everyone I talk to, they are they are concerned about whether their streets are safe, whether the police will be there to protect them, and don't do not undercount that issue in terms of its importance to the American people. One thing I don't understand is why the Democrats, Speaker Pelosi and Senator Schumer, walked away from helping working Americans. Last week, Nancy Pelosi said no to a $300 per week emergency unemployment mm -hmm. pay, no to $105 billion going to the schools. That seems to me to be a role reversal. I thought the Democrats were all for working people, and yet they reject help for working people. I don't get it. 
Good point. I mean, they said no to the $1,100 payments, which would give the average family about $3,000. I'm not even a big fan of that, but it's something that Pelosi and Trump want to do. But she walked away from that. She rejected the payroll tax cut, which Trump has been talking about for four months, which would provide every American immediately a 6% pay raise. Uh, and, and all she seems to care about in these negotiations, and this is, I think, a real opening for Trump, is giving more money to politicians, to states and cities and mayors and governors. And, and if you ask the American people, what do you care most about? They want the payroll tax cut. They want the money in their pockets. They don't want the money to go to politicians. So this is important for people to understand what she has essentially done is hijack this whole uh, stimulus uh, relief measure unless she gets everything that she wants. And then you have to start questioning her motives. Does she not want the economy to get better? Does she want the economy, Stuart, to be as bad as possible so the Democrats can win? I've never been that cynical before, but I'm starting to wonder. (laughs) Cynicism is a dreadful thing, isn't it? Stephen Moore, all good stuff. Thanks for joining us, Stephen. We'll see you again soon. Okay, sir. So speaking about Pelosi, right? Everyone's now jumping on the, hey, Pelosi's so corrupt train, right? <laughs> it was like, so now you talk about it. Why didn't we talk about it when all the, when the containers that were caught in Australia with three tons of meth that happened to belong to Pelosi Enterprises? <laughs> Why didn't anybody report it then? Why didn't anyone tell the world then how corrupt she is? Why are they telling the world now how corrupt she is? Why is it now that we're able to discuss this, but we weren't able to discuss it before? And that should be a question all of you should have. When thinking of your media, you should ask yourself, well, why are they telling me this now? Why didn't someone say this before? Why didn't someone point out how corrupt she is, how evil she is, how uh, opportunistic she is? Why didn't they do that before? Why is it that they're coming out now to tell the world, uh, you know, what a bad person she is and how she has been taking advantage of the nation for her own benefit, how she has been milking her position uh, for her own benefit. Why hasn't it been done before? Those are questions all of you should be asking. This is how you hold your journalists accountable. It isn't fair that all of us are suffering and they are not they're getting paid and they're staying home and they're not doing their jobs and they really don't care. And what are you going to do about it? That's the bottom line. What are you going to do about it? What can you do about it? Yeah. We'll remove each and every one of them, regardless of what they want to say, we are going to be removing them regardless of how they want to act. We are going to be removing them. We, the people, are going to be removing them. We're not going to wait for them to get arrested. We're not going to wait for trials to happen. We're going to get them arrested, arrested, impeached. We're going to remove them because we can, because we're in charge. They're not in charge. So for anyone saying, well, you can't do this, watch us. That's exactly what we need to do. But we're going to do that after the elections. Like I said, all the hard work starts after the elections. Because right now, we kind of have to just go with it, get the president elected, because even though he's going to win, right, here, here's how they're going to play this, which is so ridiculous. So it's just whatever, right? They're going to tell the world that we don't have uh, results 
and we can't count any votes and this is it. People need to listen and we won and we're going to constantly keep counting votes until we can make them uh, look like Biden wins. In the meantime, we're going to impeach the president, even though he won. And we're not going to, I told you, the media is going to tell you that Biden won, but President Trump is contesting it. So they're just going to keep counting the votes. And this is their plan. The media is going to tell you. This is why they've come out and said, well, uh, uh, what, what is it? How did they, <laughs> how did they say it? No one's allowed to declare any winners unless we, the media, said so. So Facebook doesn't allow anyone to declare anything. Twitter's not allowing to decl- anyone to declare anything. But here, the anyone is us. CNN, MSNBC, of course, and Fox and, uh, you know, CBS and ABC and OAN. They can say it. But dare you say anything, you will be banned. And you will be shunned away from the global cyber community because we said so. Uh, that's the way it is. That's what the media says. <laughs> and it's not just the media um, that is pushing this notion. Keep that there. So I want us to go uh, a bit over uh, the president's um, His speech, his speeches, the past two of his campaign trail have been incredible. And um, the election is something all of us should be thinking about right now because they are going to do anything to steal it. Uh, We have a lot of things going on uh, on the global stage that isn't being discussed. Oh, by the way, tomorrow I will have a special guest with me. So this guy has actually written for the IRGC in it on. So we will have like a really good conversation. Now you're going to say, what are you going to discuss? Um, that's the best thing about discussions. We're, we don't know. It's just going to be me and him on air with you guys. And we're just going to discuss what's important tomorrow. So tomorrow I'm going to do a sound check with him in the morning. And then I'm just going to call him up and be like, Hey, Let's get chatting. And I think that's the best way to do it. No planning, no questions. Just let's let it rip. Uh, so it'll be interesting. He used to write for Iran's IRGC articles, you know, like their papers. So um, I think we're going to have a very interesting conversation tomorrow. So let's go to uh, the the rally yesterday. I want to start it, hold on, I'm trying to find the spot where I want to start it, when he first came out, and then we're going to go to after he makes some introductions, hold on, this is the good stuff. Um, but before we do that, I want to share something that I told you was going to happen, and I want you guys to hear it, um, so that way you can see what's really going on. Here we go. Thank you. 
So what does that tell you? That shows you a huge crowd. And what did Scavino say? The gloves are off. And this is what we've been waiting for, uh, that moment where the gloves are off and here we go. Um, it's go time. And go time is, you know, I know a lot of people are so pessimistic. No one's getting arrested. Nothing's happening. Just watch. This can't happen. And it's like, you know what? You obviously don't understand how politics works when you say things like that. You obviously don't understand just what we're up against. And you obviously think that these people are just simply criminals. They're beyond criminals. They're evil. They are so above criminals that our regular justice system has to be revamped to take in that evil. That's how disgustingly evil they are. And we'll go over some evil things that they're doing, and they're totally getting away with it all this time. But not now. Mm -mm -mm -mm. Because we, the people, are in control great American patriots. And 51 days from now, we're going to win Nevada, and we're going to win four more years in the White House. And after we win four more years, we'll ask for maybe another four or so. Well, thank you very much. Uh, you know, whenever I say that, I watch, look at all that news back there. Look at all that fake news. When I say that, their heads explode. Our movement is pro-jobs, pro-worker, pro-police, and 100% pro-American. As we begin tonight, our thoughts are with the two sheriff's deputies in Los Angeles who were fighting for their lives when a vicious criminal walked up to their vehicle and shot them at point-blank range. Tonight, we send our love and our support to their families, and we pray to God for their recovery. The radical left in America is waging open war on law enforcement. Hundreds of officers nationwide have been injured in left-wing riots and mobs. You see it. You see it all the time. Please sit down. Please, let's have a little fun. We got plenty of time. I mean, here it is. I mean, you know. What do we have? Football's boring as hell. It's just not the same, right? I don't know. Used to be, say, people would say, hey, could you keep it away from a football game? Now they say, could you possibly do it during a football game? We have some free time. But during violent demonstrations in Las Vegas, a 29-year-old police officer, you know this very well, was deliberately shot in the head, leaving the young, brave officer paralyzed. Yet, sleepy Joe Biden and his supporters continue their dangerous war on the police. They're putting the lives of our brave officers directly in harm's way. At his convention, he never even mentioned the words law and order, never mentioned them once. Now he's all of a sudden, his polls are dropping like a rock, and he's starting to say, but well, we need law and order. And then he goes back into the basement for four days. What happens to this guy? I know what happens to him. He's shot. That's what happened to him. Every once in a while, the great Dana White. Does anybody know Dana White? 
He's got some champions with him tonight. You know, he's here. I'm going to introduce him. But he's got. But every once in a while, I'll ask him, what happened to that guy? He said, sir, he's been shot for the last long time. Should have. Joe Biden, he's shot. And everybody knows it. And you know what? They ought to be ashamed because they do interviews with him. They give him the questions and they. That's the fake news. It is. How about the other day? Could you move that a little bit closer? See these things? Move it up. But I must tell you, at great peril, I use them seldom. But those are the times we have the best fun, too, I will say. That's what we, and that's actually when we learn the most. For the entire summer, Biden was silent as left-wing mobs assaulted police officers. When Biden's far-left supporters set fire to police cars and precinct stations, courthouses, Joe they call them peaceful protests. And you know, when we go to these radical left places and precinct stations, courthouses, Joe Biden called them peaceful protesters, right? They call them peaceful protests. And you know, when we go to these radical left places that are having problems, because everyone, look at the top 10, you go back, go top 20, top 30, take a look. Democrat-run, radical, left-wing Democrat usually run. Not Republican-run, Democrat-run. And we go back and we take a look. We want to give them help. They don't want help. But when they do ask for help and when they do, we go in. Like Minneapolis, the National Guard went in. Took 35 minutes to quell a situation that went on for two weeks. They knew we were going in to Seattle. We told them we're going in tomorrow morning. And so they sent them in. They didn't want that to happen. And we let the protesters know, or whatever you call them. They're really anarchists. They're not protesters. So we let the anarchists know that we were going in with approximately 10,000 very tough people. And uh, they immediately raised their hands. And the Seattle police, who, by the way, could do a great job if they were let to do their job. But they're not. They're not. And as you know, in Portland the other day, we had to send in the U.S. Marshals, a man who's a bad guy, bad guy, shot somebody right in the middle of the street, who they say was a very fine young man, shot him, killed him, caught him, just shot him like it was on television. Two and a half days, nothing happened. I said, what's going on? We sent in the U.S. Marshals. It was taken care of in 15 minutes, okay? 15 minutes. When asked if he would cut police funding, Sleepy Joe said, absolutely, yes, I would. Now he's trying to change his mind. You ever see a guy, he changed his mind on fracking, okay? There will be no fracking. You know, that he went all through the debates. He doesn't even know what fracking is, I guarantee you. He was told to say that by Bernie and the radical left and his vice president. By the way, how bad is she? She's the worst. You know, we're going to have a woman president someday. Not going to be her. Not going to be her. And that's no way to attain the office. We got in there because Sleepy Joe couldn't handle it anymore. You know, Joe was bad in primetime. See, the reason I can talk so badly about him, because he did an ad where he had me standing over the grave and the graves of our fallen heroes from many years ago. 
And and they said, and nobody loves the military more. Look what I've done for them. Two and a half trillion dollars. And in the end, they have me saying horrible things in front of other people. Nobody would have put up with that. It was totally, it's called disinformation. They make up a total lie. They put it out, then they do ads. So once he did that, I said, now I really, look, it's okay. It's okay, because now the gloves are off. I can say that this man is totally unfit to be president. Up here, he's totally unfit. He can't be your president. You know, I've gotten to know President Xi of China. I've gotten to know President Putin of Russia. And by the way, getting along with them is good. Although China, I must tell you, got a real problem with China. What they did with us, we can never forget that. We made a great trade deal. The ink wasn't dry when the plague came in from China. They stopped it from going into China, but they didn't stop it from going in to our country, Europe, and the rest of the world. Okay, they could have done that. But you see, uh, I deal with all of these people, and uh, they don't have the kind of mental problem that Sleepy Joe has. They're very sharp. Kim Jong-un. Kim Jong-un doesn't know about the problems that Joe has. We need very sharp people. I'm sorry. Joe is not qualified for this position. Joe calls for... Abolishing cash bail and closing your prisons. He wants to close prisons. And he even called law enforcement the enemy recently. You saw that, the enemy, until his poll started dropping. Then all of a sudden he said, no, we love law enforcement. I think I've gotten every major law enforcement group in the country, right? I even got, you saw recently I got New York's finest, and they are New York's finest, but they're not allowed to do their job. They're not allowed. We have a radical left mayor who has no clue is no clue what's happening to that poor city i love that city what's happening to that city 300 percent up look 300 percent in certain very bad crimes new york there's no reason for this and we have the greatest police they're great new york's finest they endorse me chicago fraternal order of police chicago endorse me oklahoma endorse me texas endorse me Florida endorsed me. Every place endorsed me. And if you think it's easy for New York and Chicago and these different places, Ohio endorsed me. If you think it's easy for these guys, they never endorsed New York. They said they cannot remember ever having endorsed a presidential candidate. They endorsed me. And they're going against their radical left culture that's destroying the city. So I was very honored. But how about Chicago? Do you think it's easy for these great police in Chicago to endorse me? It's not easy. But they felt that they had an obligation to do it. So I'm just it just happened. I'm just very honored by it. And Biden's anti-police crusade must stop. It's got to stop. It's got to stop now. Furthermore, the corporations, these poor, stupid people that run the, you know, they get paid a lot of money. They're weak, ineffective people, let's face it. They're funding anti-police organizations and other organizations that are, it's, it's so embarrassing. And I don't mean for a little. Like, they gave $100 million and $250 million. You're talking about serious money. 
You're talking about serious money. And that money is not used for good reasons. And these stupid corporations, and they'll be the first to go if the radical left ever took. They'd throw those guys out like they were nothing. If they were lucky, they'd just be thrown out. It would probably be a lot rougher than that. These people don't know what they're getting into. But instead of giving money, they should give money to the families of the crime victims and the fallen officers. That's what they should do. So, in the Republican Party, we know that police officers are not villains, but the heroes who risk their lives to keep us safe. And they guard, you know, the thing that's incredible, I, I know so many police, they're so good. One bad apple, and they're on for months. One bad apple, they go on for months. The thousands and tens of thousands of good things, nobody talks about it. These are great people that have done a great job, and we have to support our law enforcement. So Biden wants to appease domestic terrorists, and my plan is to arrest domestic terrorists. And we also believe that if you murder a police officer, you should receive the death penalty. And that's something that's very important. And you saw a video of that animal that went up to the car. Did everybody see that? This animal, this animal goes up to the car. Two unsuspecting fine people. They were supposed fine people. I mean, they're in very grave condition, as you know. Fine people. He's an animal. And I called him an animal. And I was criticized by people calling him an animal. They said he's a human being. He's not a human being. He's an animal. He's not a human being. Joe Biden opposes the death penalty, even for cops who, I mean, look, you have to see, even for these cop killers who go around, the predators, they murder children, people like the Boston bomber. He opposes the death penalty for the Boston bomber. He wants to give prisoners a vote. He wants to have the Boston bomber be able to vote. I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think so. You know who started that? Bernie Sanders, Crazy Bernie. He wants to have... Crazy Bernie says, no, no, they have to vote. So they asked him, well, does that mean every... That means everybody that's in prison should be entitled to a vote, right? So they actually said, well, what is that? What about the Boston bomber? Should he be entitled? And Bernie goes, uh, yeah, yeah, he should be entitled. <laughs> Bernie is crazy, but you know, the fact is that we got a lot of Bernie votes four years ago because... Bertie's right about one thing, trade, because all of these countries, friend and foe, they rip off the United States. We've we have made so many great trade deals and you see it. USMCA, we got rid of NAFTA, so many. But Biden is too weak to be president and he's not a smart person. And by the way, he wasn't smart 25 years ago. Everybody knew it. Now we don't even have to discuss the matter. But I was going to say, when he put that ad up, we told him to take it down. When he put that ad up, that dishonored our fallen heroes. They are great, great 
heroes of mine, of yours, of everybody's. I know really bad people. No bad person. The worst person I know. I, saw, I know some beauties from New York. I know some developers in New York, actually. Nobody would say what they said. They made it up. It was a made-up statement, and they put it up as, in the form of an ad from a third-rate magazine whose best friend is Obama, who, by the way, who, by the way, who, by the way, got caught spying on my campaign. He got caught. We caught him cold. We have him cold. Now let's see what happens. Now, the Republicans, you know, it's interesting. We have much better policy, but the Republicans, they don't fight like Colby. You know who Colby is? You're going to say hello to Colby. They don't fight like Colby. They don't fight to win. They've, they've just thought that with better policy, but they're not, they don't have that vicious streak. If this were reversed, if this were reversed, they would be in jail for two years already, and it would be for a 50-year term for treason. That's what it would be, okay? But Biden's too scared to stand up to the crazy socialists and never will. He'll never have the strength. And he's, he's going downhill fast. It's going to be very interesting. And, you know, I called for a drug test because you know what? I want a drug test because we don't want to have a situation like we could have with this guy. I watched him in debates with the other 24 lunatics. Right? And he was so bad. No, he was so bad. You know, maybe he'll win because they don't like me. They don't like my personality. But I hate to say it. I'm what you need. I'm what you need. But if Biden ever did win, he would surrender your country to the mob. You know that. And he will have nothing to do with it. It's not him. I mean, he's being he's going to be pushed around. And she's, by the way, just so you know what you're going to get. She's considered far more liberal than Bernie Sanders. How about that? That's what you're going to have. I don't think your state is into that. Unlike Biden, I'll always stand with the heroes of law enforcement. And I'm deeply honored to have gotten all of those endorsements. That to me is a really big deal. That to me is really a big deal. And I just want to thank all of them, including the National Troopers Association and Coalition just came in. We also received the endorsement, total and complete endorsement from the Public Safety Alliance of Nevada and the Las Vegas Police Protective Association from Nevada. And I want to thank for that Steve Gramas, who's with us tonight. Where's Steve? Was Steve here? Steve, thank you. Thank you. That's a big deal. Make sure they get out and vote, Steve, because they're playing around with the ballots, okay? You know, you're governor. So we had many sites, by the way, all exterior sites, all outside. Today you'll hear these phonies back there. Well, look at that. Now, today you're going to hear them. 
They'll say, oh, it was in de- Well, the reason it was we had five sites, all outside sites, like last night. Tremendous room. And a great gentleman who owns this building said, you know what? What they're doing is really unfair. You can use my building. Don, I want to thank you. Don. I want to thank you. This is the most important election in the history of our country. At no time before has there been a clearer choice between two parties, two visions, two philosophies, two agendas for the future. Joe Biden spent the last 47 years selling out America. Look at what he's done. Everything he's done was wrong. He always voted the wrong way. Even his secretary of defense, his secretary of state, they said he always voted the wrong way. He was offshoring your jobs, throwing open your borders, depleting our military, and sacrificing your children's future to China and other faraway lands. I've spent the last four pieces. <laughs> Only in Nevada can you have. I would never say it. So what did you say? Okay. This way I can't get in trouble. I've spent the last four years bringing our jobs back to America, securing our borders, rebuilding our military, and standing up to China like no other president has ever done. If Biden wins, China wins. If Biden wins, the mob wins. If Biden wins, the rioters and anarchists and... Look, you see what's going on. The arsonists and flag burners. How about the flag burning? I would love... I would love to have a law. This is so sad what's going on. When I see the American flag burn, I get so angry. I get so angry. I would love to have a law. It has to go through a big process. You burn the flag, you go to jail for one year. I would love to see it. 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 If I were a congressman or a senator, I'd be in there with that one. You know, this old freedom of speech. That's not freedom of speech. You burn the flag, you should go to jail for one year. I really mean that. They'll say, oh, it's horrible. He's against free speech. No, no. We're not. We're not against free speech. But I'm running for re-election to bring back the tremendous prosperity that we enjoyed before the plague came in. And it's happening very fast. And I'm running for your state. I love this state. You know, I put a lot of money in this state. And it's been a great investment. And we want to keep this state strong. Not for that reason, by the way. For other reasons. Because this is a great place. You have a governor right now who's a political hack. We want to put violent criminals behind bars and tell your governor to open up your state, by the way. Open up your state.
You know, just so you know, these shutdowns, we did the right thing. We had the greatest economy in the history of the world. They came in. They saw, We were all seeing what was happening. We closed up. I, I mean, you know, how the, you're presiding over the greatest economy in history. And a group of very smart people walk in and say, sir, we have to close it. And we did the right thing. We closed it. Well, actually, he didn't think we should close it yet. But later on, he said, we did the right thing. We closed it. We closed it. We saved millions of lives. If we wouldn't have closed it, we would have been talking two and a half or three million. We're at 180. It's far too much. But we would have we would have been talking about it would have been unacceptable, unsustainable. It would have been so bad. Think of it. We're at 180,000 other countries are doing terribly. Did you see the statistics of us compared to other countries, us compared to Europe, us compared? We have done an incredible job. We get absolutely no credit for the job we've done. And I don't want it myself, but I want it for the admirals and the generals and Mike Pence. And Joe Biden was against it, remember? He was totally against closing. He said, oh, he's xenophobic. I'm xenophobic. I wanted it closed, and nobody else did. At that time, nobody else did. I was way early. You know, they say, he didn't act fast. I was months early. Nancy Pelosi was a month and a half later saying, come to Chinatown. Let's come to Chinatown. And Sleepy Joe was totally, he thought what I was doing was terrible. Then all of Dude, how funny was that? That Nancy Pelosi was in Chinatown. Remember, I told you that was pretty important. I want it for the admirals, generals, and Mike Pence. Remember the story of uh, Nancy Pelosi? Oh, man. This is just riddled with amazing things. All of a sudden, now I see him saying, he should have closed it earlier. This guy, you know, the great, the great thing about the age in which we live, it's all down in tape. You know, it's all down. I've got a reel on him. We call it, we call it Biden's best. You got to hear this. But we want to ensure the future of America, not the future of China and other countries. Because if we win, America wins. And it's all about America first. You know, you've had uh, presidents, they never put America first. They didn't put America first. They didn't take care of our country, but we're taking care of our country now. Joe Biden cannot lead our country because he really doesn't believe truly in our country. But I, I sort of that I think that's a very strong statement. I don't think he has a clue. I'll be honest. The people that push him around don't believe in our country. Because he agreed to a manifesto with Crazy Bernie, right? It's called the manifesto. You know why it's called the manifesto? Because this is beyond socialism. This is a word that starts with a C, not an S. That's where they're coming from. That's what they're coming from. At Biden's convention, they decried America wicked, and they were saying it's wicked, sinful. It's destined for a fate of doom and despair. That was, by the way, that was the most, that was the most depressing convention. We had a great convention. We had a great convention. They actually said America wasn't great. They actually said that America was never great. You know who said that? Cuomo, the governor of New York, said America wasn't great. 
I don't know if he's going to get away with that one. That's going to that's going to haunt him. That's going to haunt him. America wasn't great. Him and his uh, brother Fredo. Do you ever watch Fredo? His ratings aren't very good, so you probably don't. But we know the truth. America is the most exceptional nation on earth, and our destiny is blessed by God. We love this nation with all of our heart and soul, and we will always take care of our nation. You know, uh, we have a little expression, make America great again. That's what's happened. And, you know, we had it done. Now I say, make America great again, again. Comma. I go, comma, again. And that's what we're doing at a record clip. They've never had a clip like this with the jobs and everything else. You see the numbers on November 3rd. Nevada will decide whether we will quickly return to record prosperity, and we're doing it. We're going to have a tremendous year next year. Or whether we'll allow Joe Biden and the group of handlers to impose a $4 trillion tax hike, ban American energy, destroy our suburbs, demolish our Second Amendment, and indoctrinate your children with a poisonous anti-American lie. Yeah, get him out of here, would you please? We built the greatest economy in the world. He's going home to mom. And now we're doing it again. We're developing a vaccine in record time. The other administration would have been years, and we're almost there. It's going to be announced very soon. We'll be ready before the end of the year, and we will very easily defeat the China virus. That's what's happening. And we're already making that turn. We're making that round, beautiful last turn. But it should have never happened. China should have never let that happen. They should have stopped it in China. Under my administration, before the virus, we quickly achieved the lowest unemployment rate in Nevada's history, and we'll soon be there again. You see what's happening. A guy like Biden would totally eradicate Nevada's economy. He would make it impossible for you to compete. And he's already said if the doctors suggested it, he would shut down the country again. We're not shutting down our country. 
A shutdown will destroy the lives and dreams of tens of millions of Americans. Uh, look, the Americans, you know, on the other side, if you look at these shutdowns and you're living through it right now, you know, there aren't many states that are shut down. They're all Democrats. North Carolina, your state, but North Carolina, we're not, you know, you take a look at North Carolina, Pennsylvania shut down. Every one of them that are shut down are doing not well. They're not doing well. And they all have Democrat governors. And, you know, when you look at the suicide rates, when you look at all of the suicide, all of the domestic violence, the drugs, all of the problems, we can't have it. We can't have it. Open up your state. You've got to open up your state. It's all political. It's all political. It's all political. On November 4th, they'll announce, we're going to open up the states. They're only doing it to affect your November 3rd great election, most important election. Biden will always do whatever the radical left demands. And if elected, his radical supporters won't just be causing mayhem on the streets. They'll be running the Department of Justice, the Department of Homeland Security, and by the way, the United States Supreme Court. And we will have a very different country. You know, the next president probably will have anywhere one, two, three, or four Supreme Court justices. So, if you want your Second Amendment, if you want life, if you want so many other things, even having to do with your military, even having to do with your vets, if you want things, if you want, you've got to, you've got to have the court. Because, you know, they'll last for 25, 30, 40 years. They're put on as young people and they stay a long time. Our country will never be the same. We'll never be able to recover from it. So you got to get out on November 3rd or early voting. You got to get out and vote. And you could send your ballot and then you have to check that your ballot's counted because they might not count your ballot in this state. They may not count your ballot. But we're looking to save and we're going to save America. We're not going to let that happen. So we're joined tonight by two terrific congressional candidates that have been just incredible in the job they've done. What's going on with that? Oh, so I get they disconnected. Did they disconnect last night too? Because I wasn't watching it. The job they've done in their campaign, they beat people that were very good, very talented, great politicians, and they won. Dan, where is he? Dan Rodemer. Dan Rodemer. Dan Rodemer. And we're with you all the way, Dan. And Jim Marchant. Jim, thank you very much. Thank you, Jim. So we're backing you all the way. You got to get them in. We need the, we will take back the house. You know why? Because people cannot stand Nancy Pelosi. They don't like Nancy Pelosi. Even the woman that owns the beauty parlor turned her in. Can you believe that? Thank you, Michael. Nancy the former Pelosi's attorney general, Adam Laxalt. She thought it was disgraceful. But that's what we're dealing with, a bunch of phonies. But you guys, we have we and have a person back with 100%. tremendous Michael, spirit sure, and right? personality, to put it mildly. I also want to introduce and thank. Wow, He's done a fantastic on? job. 
Nevada Republican Party Chairman Michael. Guys, was it just me or was there like overlap of sound right there? That was really weird. Um, that was super bizarre. Here we go. Let's do it again. Hi, Donald. And a friend of mine, and thank you, Michael, your former Attorney General, Adam Laxalt. And a person with tremendous spirit and personality, to put it mildly. She's tough, and she's, but she's very kind. She's a great person. Kimberly Guilfoyle. Thank you, Kimberly. Thank you. Thank you, Kimberly. The owner of the Chicago Cubs, and he's in first place, so he's very happy. The RNC finance chairman, Todd Ricketts. Where's Todd? Todd, thank you. Great. Go win that pennant, Todd. Win the pennant. One of the best people ever to work for me in government. He's tough. He's smart. He can be vicious. But he's just fair more than anything else. But he is a talented guy with tremendous energy and tremendous brain power. Rick Grinnell. Thank you, Rick. And here he is again because they're going to try and find out, man, what's this guy manufacturing? You know, this is a manufacturing building. And outside, 25 to 30,000 people. Everyone's saying, what the hell is he manufacturing? Maybe he's manufacturing Trump. I don't know. He's manufacturing something pretty good. They're going to, boy, they're going to be giving you a lot. But again, Don, thank you very much. Don Ahan. Thank you, Don. Thank you, Don. Also, a Las Vegas legend, Rick Harrison. Rick, thank you, Rick. You are a legend, aren't you, huh? Great job you've done. Great job you've done. A friend of mine for a long time. You know, years ago, he was looking for a place. Can I tell this story just quickly? Do you mind? He was looking for a place, and they said, well, that sport's never going to make it. It's too violent. They just don't know how violent the American people are, do they? They, they never quite figured that out. No, they said, no, it'll never make it. There's nobody like this guy, I'm telling you. I always say it's a great sport without him. I don't know what they'd do. I don't know if it could. I don't know if anything would make it. He could do anything. He is so smart, so tough, so cunning. He's been a friend of mine for a long time. I've been a friend of his, but I gave him a place a long time ago. And all I know is just like we have outside, we had lines. I said, what the hell's going on here, Dana? This place is packed. Right? We were packed. We had thousands of people that couldn't get in. And I was so nice. I said, let's do it again, Dana, please. And we did it again and again and again. And it became the UFC, and he sold it. And as a big chunk of it, but he got $4 billion when he sold it. $4 billion. That's not too bad. That's not too bad, Dana. But he really is. He's an incredible guy. And, you know, he also loves his fighters. He wants to take care of his fighters, and he brought some of them along the best. But I want to introduce Dana White. Dana, please, stand up.
And Dana brought along a few of his friends, and uh, these are not people you want to pick a fight with. Because under those beautiful suits are a lot of muscles, a lot of power, a lot of, a lot of genius for fighting and for other things. But a lot of genius under those suits, a uh, few members of the UFC community. So here's a man who's been, he used to walk into that ring, and he still does, and he's uh, as good as there is in the world, number one in the world. Uh, you don't want to pick a fight with him at a bar. Let's say you had a fight, and you happen to meet Colby Covington. You say, what's your name? And he said, my name's Colby Covington. And you know, the first time I saw Covington and then Colby, he walks into the, the ring. Now, he wasn't fighting, but he walked in with that same hat that you're wearing. It said, keep America great. It says, make America. He, he doesn't care. As long as it has Trump on it someplace, he doesn't care. He doesn't discriminate. But this was the same day that we had our conservative reporter beat the hell by that wise guy who's now in big trouble for doing what he did. And then he walks in wearing the hat, right? Keep America great. And he wears the hat and he's going like this because this was a big story. You remember what they did to that guy, conservative reporter, not a fighter. He wasn't a fighter. If And it was 10 people against one. Now, if we had 10 people against that one, those 10 people would be in serious trouble. They said, what the hell? But I'd like to introduce Colby Covington. Great title. Great, great title. Incredible. He is a great fighter. Three months ago, I saw him fight a guy. He looked like uh, it would be impossible to beat. I never saw muscles. He had muscles on muscles on muscles. And Kobe's a very fit guy and, you know, fantastic, but he didn't look quite the same. It wasn't even a contest. It went a few rounds and it was like, I couldn't believe what you did. He took them apart so easily. It was like uh, an easy day at the office. <laughs> so you have to explain that to me someday, Kobe, but we love you, man. You're with us and we're with you. Another great, great Fighting. champion, Justin Gaethy. Please, stand up, Justin. Justin Gaethje, thank you. And you feel good about that fight? What is going on with the fight? We're going to be watching. It's right before the election, but I think I'm going to be watching, okay? I'll be watching. You better believe it. That's going to be an incredible fight. Good luck. Good luck, Justin. Great fighter. And also, Ali Abdulaziz, right? Abdulaziz, great guy, one of the best. Thank you very much. But these are great people, and they have so many people at the UFC, and they've been big fans of us. They love our country. They love our country. So, you know, and we love them, and nobody like our Dana. Thank you, Dana, very much. Great honor. Thank you, man. Tonight, we're also praying for everyone throughout the West affected by the devastating wildfires. We want really forest management. We want forest management. My administration is closely coordinating with the state and local leaders, with the governor. And we thank the more than 28,000 firefighters and first responders courageously braving the danger and the lives.
And I'm going there tomorrow. I'll be going to California tomorrow. We have meetings with FEMA and all of the different people. Uh, it'll be it'll be amazing to see. It's uh, it's like the biggest we've ever had. It's crazy. It's crazy what's going on. Thousands and thousands and thousands of acres. It's crazy. So we're going to be there tomorrow. We'll be with the governor. We're also going to various other places. We have Washington also is in big trouble in Oregon. I spoke with the governor of Oregon and uh, they're having they've never had anything like it. And, uh, of course, they also have a place called Portland, and we will put that fire out. Just tell us to put it out, Governor. That fire we'll put out. That's a much easier fire to put out. It would take us less than a half an hour. We've spent the last four years reversing the damage done by Joe Biden and all of the damage that him and his thought process has inflicted over a 47-year period. We passed record-setting tax cuts and record-setting regulation cuts. We achieved American energy independence. Nobody thought it was possible. When Biden pledged to abolish the production of American oil and shale and clean coal and natural gas, which is very clean, and he wanted to ban fracking, we said, no, we're not doing that. For 47 years, Biden crushed the dreams of American workers to enrich foreign countries. That's what happened. Look, he says he's going to change. He's been there for 47 years. And, you know, they, he's been there till three and a half years ago. So it's not like, gee, he hasn't done it for 20. He was there recently. They didn't do it. And you don't change. And you always go back to the first statement. And his first statement was anti-religion. His first statement was anti-fracking, anti-energy. His first statement was anti all of the things, but it was really anti-gun, anti-Second Amendment. He even put this whack job, he even put Beto O'Rourke, Beto. They said, Beto is Spanish. I said, how does the Beto go with the O'Rourke? They said, well, he wanted the Spanish vote, so his father calls him Beto. What's that? Does that sound a little bit phony? Because we had a poll today, and Hispanics are at 52% for Trump and 40-something for Biden. Never happened before. Never happened before. They've never seen that before. I love the Hispanics. But the Democrats champion NAFTA TPP, the horrible South Korea deal, South Korea deal. Hillary Clinton, crooked Hillary, she said, we will create 250,000 jobs. I say it all the time. We will do this deal with South Korea. We will create 250,000. And she was right. But they were created for South Korea, not for us. We didn't get anything. And we renegotiated it. And he was there for China's entry into the World Trade Organization earlier this year. I kept my promise to American workers when we ended the NAFTA nightmare and we signed the brand new U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement into law. Great deal for us. That's a great deal. And by the way, our stock market is setting records, I hate to say, in the middle of a pandemic. But hopefully as we round that final turn on the pandemic, we're setting records with the stock market. Your 401ks are doing very well.
Your socks are doing very well. And you know what? If something would happen where he'd get in, and there's a headwind, believe it or not, that stock market would be much higher. But there's a headwind on the possibility, okay? Everything is a possibility. There's a headwind. But I'll tell you what, if he ever got in, you would have a market crash, the likes of which this country has never seen before. Just remember it. Just remember it. Because what they want to do is crazy. The Green New Deal, $100 trillion. The Green New Deal. That's more money than we could make in a thousand years. $100 trillion. We don't like that building. The windows are too big. What do you do? Rip it down and build a new one. Oh, good. That sounds good. I saved the U.S. auto industry by withdrawing from the last administration's job-killing catastrophe, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. And we're building many auto plants. You know that. Some here. But we're building many auto plants in Michigan. Many auto plants in Michigan. If we don't win Michigan after all those auto plants, and I don't know, but it's been tough, but we won it last time. And we're showing a poll that just came out that we're two points up in Michigan. That's very good. That's very good. I took the toughest ever action to stand up to China's rampant theft of American jobs. Biden's agenda is made in China. My agenda is made in the USA. That's what it is. For the last four years, I've been delivering for our incredible Hispanic community. I'm fighting for school choice, safe neighborhoods, low taxes, low regulations on all Hispanic-owned small business. And they are great business people. And they understood that. They understood that. They understood it. And by the way, there's nobody that knows our southern border better than I call them the Hispanics. I call them Latino. You know, I say, what do you prefer? It's, it's very interesting. Some say, call us Latino. Others say, call us Hispanic. Others say, call us whatever the hell you want. We love you. We love you. But our Hispanic population knows our southern border better than anybody else. And they don't want criminals coming across. They want people to come across but they want them to come across legally. And we have the strongest southern border now that we've ever had. The Democrats and Biden would be a disaster for Hispanic Americans. He's pledged to wage attacks on Catholic organizations like the Little Sisters of the Poor. They're fighting him. He supports taxpayer-funded extreme late-term abortion. Dream late term. He would allow left-wing anarchists to burn down your businesses. He would hand over your jobs to China and your country to the socialists and beyond the socialists. The Democrat Party also continues to attack our incredible border agents, more than half of whom happen to be Hispanic Americans, okay? And they're great. And I want to thank... Not only law enforcement, but a big part of law enforcement are the Border Patrol and the ICE agents. They're incredible. You know, the ICE agents, Dana could sign some of them up. The ICE agents, they go into like a pack. They go to a pack. They go into a pack. 
of MS-13 fighters. These are criminals. And they do it like it's routine. You don't want that job. Nobody, I don't see any of the people, male or female, sitting in this audience that wants that job, ICE. They take out thousands and thousands of MS-13 killers a year and bring them the hell back out of our country. All around our country, our communities are protected by Hispanic American heroes and law enforcement, and they deserve unwavering gratitude. And I want to just thank you all. I want to thank you all. That was really, really harsh, and that was actually super bizarre. Uh, the um, I have a system. It's kind of like a switch. So when something is coming in on my feed, my computer decides to cut the internet feed and shut down quickly. So that was really interesting. Um, so um, it's just something that was there and my computer dealt with it. And that's a good thing. I shouldn't have been on other platforms while I was watching this. That's all. Uh, so... I wanted to uh, finish off the, the rally, but I guess it'll be in two segments. It was quite um, interesting how it shut off the, so quickly. Uh, so let's get to the news post-rally. All right, let's get into that because we have a lot going on and a lot of people are, are not uh, looking at it correctly. So we have these riots and we've been talking about the riots for a very, a very long time. I actually wrote about the riots back in 2015, 2016, right. Um, and how they were going to be coming around because this is a weapon that they use a weapon that, um, they all use at all times, um, to maintain control. And power is a very ugly thing. And that is what I realized listening uh, to the passages today in church. As he was <clears throat> reading from the gospel. And, you know, it's, it, it's Orthodox liturgy, so it's chanted. Uh, something struck me. So power has always been a concern for those few. And if we remember the story of, you know, the story of Jesus and how he was crucified, we remember that, you know, he didn't do anything. He didn't kill anyone. He didn't rob anyone. He just proclaimed that uh, his father is the real king of this earth and he is the son of, of, of God. He is, you know, a leader and they put him out for the people to decide. And here we go. Public opinion, right? And he was, it was either him or a criminal. And he turns around and says, you know, I can punish you. He's like, you can't punish me unless he lets you, unless my father lets you. 
you cannot punish me. And he's there. And the criminal is there who had done crimes, many of them. And he says, well, one of you are going and I will let the people decide, you know, the public opinion. And so they, and he says, he says he is the king of the Jews. And they were like, no, our only king is, you know, Caesar. So his idea, right, his speech of love and unity is why he was crucified. Now, if you see those that are speaking of love and unity, save the children, stop abortions, stop all of this, right? Who's, who's Pilate in this, in this scenario? Who's Pilate? Because everyone that is hoping for good, that is wishing good, who is that? Because apparently... They have power and they are not crucifying, but silencing and causing harm. This is all the same on not, not exactly the same. Okay. Let's not say that, uh, the censorship and the enslavement, but this is, that was a rebellion back then against evil with actually Jesus as the leader. And here we are rebelling against, against what? Evil. And we are treated in the same way that his disciples were. Anything that's good, that has an uprise, regardless if it is the son of God that, 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 that leads the way or if it's just you. It is suffocated. It is crucified. Right? And... It dawned on me, oh, oh my, wait a minute. Okay, so the story really, even though I've heard it a million times and all of you have, it was about their power. It was about their power. They crucified him, not because he was someone they feared or because he committed crimes, but because he was taking away their power. How can one man so humble preaching only good, promoting life and love and spiritual kindness, right? How can that person be crucified, but not the criminal on the other hand? And it was because he was threatening their power. And I was like, 42 years, I've heard this story, read this story, seen it every Easter. It's like my thing to watch the whole story reenacted uh, you know, of the days right before his death. And, I, you know, I actually downloaded the app, The Chosen, to watch the stories again. And I'm like, wait a minute. It was the lawmakers. It was the Caesars. It was it was the people of power that were afraid. Blasphemy. Blasphemy was just another term to be used to not take away their power. It was all about power. Because he said, oh, they screamed and shouted, Caesar is our only king. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. Oh, wow. Huh? Look at that. It was about power back then. 
It's always about power because good is so powerful that one, remember, one idea is the most dangerous thing. That is where people need to wake up and see it. This is, that was about power. This is about power. It's all about power. Evil is nothing with good in the mix because good takes away all its earthly powers. Whoa, gone because you can call it by its name. And that, that dawn, I was just, you know, listening to it and I was like, wait a minute. Okay. That's it. And I can't believe that it took so many years to make that connection that it wasn't so much that, you know, they were, they were jealous. You know, I, I I remember thinking, well, they were just jealous because people liked them or uh, some other times I would, uh, you know, reflect upon this and say, oh, they were just, you know, uh, upset because, you know, he wanted to change their religion (laughs) or something you know, many thoughts that go through our mind over the years when we revisit something. But this is the first time that I realized betrayal. We saw it with Judas. We saw it, that it wasn't, it wasn't the, 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 the righteous people that were clean that could, you know, that have been, you know, monks since birth. It was the thieves, the, the, the prostitutes that, that, that woke up to understand, okay, uh, none of us need misery. We don't have to be in misery. There is abundance and we're just not seeing it. And they got it. And because they got it, they ran with it and they spread the word. And the reason he was crucified today being the fact that you raised the cross, the reason he was crucified, and, and this repeats in other religions, you guys. It repeats in other versions of any religion with, with monotheism, right? Huh? That they are silenced, not because of their message, but because their message took away their power. Wow. That is insane. That is so insane. And I can't believe I didn't see it. It was always about power. And, uh, that's, that's how you should see this. When we say it's good and evil, we understand it. But now for me, I really understand it. Cause that was like a wake up. No, I've been woke, <laughs> but for me on a spiritual level, it was like, whoa, He was crucified because he was threatening their power. And right now, they're crucifying all of us, right? Silencing us, taking away our rights, locking us up in our houses, telling us what we're supposed to do. Why? Because they are terrified that they are losing their power. It's about power. So, uh, you know, I hope... That resonates with some of you uh, in 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 sense of understanding of why all this chaos, because back then it was weird. Well, why would you crucify someone that's just spreading good? You know, oh, they're just jealous. Oh, they just want to be like the center of religion. That's right. They do. Envy, jealousy. But it's because they lose power that they're jealous. And so here we have them killing us, provoking us, setting us on fire, 
locally we're talking because globally there's a hot mess going on that you aren't even clued on. (laughs) It is a hot mess. So what happened yesterday? Here's what happened yesterday. Um, And in Philadelphia, of course. But we did have uh, the guy just walk up to the police car and just shoot them out of the blue, unprovoked. And then now we have more riots, right, coming up with, you know, another man being shot. So everybody needs to start rioting because that's how you fix things, right, with riots. This is... This is their MO. Now, this is how they instill fear in you to make you submit. Do not speak up because you will be crucified. Do not speak up because I will shoot you. Do not speak up because I will beat you. Do not speak up because I will humiliate you. Do not speak up because I will cancel you taking to the streets in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, just outside of Amish country, after police fatally shot 27-year-old Ricardo Munoz. The Lancaster District Attorney's Office now saying he threatened officers with a knife. David Lee Miller is live with more on the investigation and the unrest. David Lee. Trace, let me give you something of a timeline. This incident began Sunday afternoon at about 4.15. Police were called to a home for what was described as a domestic dispute. A woman said her brother was becoming aggressive with uh, her mother, and that is when uh, uh, this uh, incident began to unfold. The first officer on the scene approached the home, and that's when the conflict occurred. The officer's body camera captured what took place. What you're about to see is uh, disturbing. It is also very brief. We have frozen the video at the precise moment the officer fired his weapon. A man identified as 27-year-old Ricardo Munez chased the officer. Investigators say based on the video and preliminary information, he had a knife in his right hand. The officer then fired a shot, killing Munez, who was pronounced dead at the scene. The officer, who has not been identified, has been placed on administrative leave. Protesters angry about the shooting soon took to the streets. They gathered at a police station, locking arms, ignoring warnings to disperse. Bricks were thrown and a county car damaged. Police then used tear gas to break up the demonstrators. The city's police chief appealed for people not to resort to violence. Any loss of life, regardless of how it happens, is devastating. It's devastating for everybody involved. It's devastating for our police department, the families, and our community. Um, It's absolutely devastating. And, you know, we need the community to come together, and we want the community to stay calm, stay at peace. And according to court documents, uh, one year ago, Munez was arrested for stabbing at least two people. And then uh, apparently he held the knife to his own throat when the police tried to intervene. He was uh, now awaiting trial on four counts of aggravated assault. All right. So justifiably uh, self-defense for the police officers. Right. But this is where they turn it around. You know, now things are coming out. George Floyd was an asset of the FBI. Uh, So (laughs) this is getting very interesting. I don't think that um, Keith Ellison wanted that out. I don't think that the governor of Minnesota wanted that out. So there's a lot happening. We are deporting mass amounts of Somalis that have illegally uh, illegally entered our nation in Minnesota. Ilhan Omar is very upset. But, you know, we're cracking down on Lutheran social services. This is where it's at. 
under the guise of supposedly the Lutheran faith, they're bringing in all these people that are exchanging money, you know, to bring them in. Uh, so uh, it's going to be pretty interesting um, how it's going to be. I, I don't understand that it isn't even George Floyd. I'm not talking about this guy being George Floyd. I am saying that it is being discovered now that investigations are going into these police officers that supposedly sat on his neck. At George Floyd was an FBI asset. So this is very interesting. Um, it's very interesting. And uh, hence the ability, uh, for them to have such, uh, you know, proximal access with him. Uh, here we have Tucker reminding us how, you know, they're destroying America and that's, they're working really, really hard to destroy our America. And why? Because of what? The loss of power. And those people you see as anarchists torching things are simply like those people that help crucify Jesus. They just, you know, follow the masses and think, oh, that's evil. This is this. Let's all follow the mass. Let's revolt. And they're lost souls that have no idea what they're doing. No idea that they are trying to hand over their lives and every other person's lives in the hand of people that will do anything to maintain power. They will do anything to maintain power. And with all this technology that I've demonstrated to you that we have, we've had for a while. So imagine what we really have. But what you see that's public, that should terrify you. That someone can through just a simple DNA sample, find the way to kill you instantly. And you would be none the wiser. No one would ever be able to see that. What are we going to do? Genetically find that they amplified a gene to kill you? That's the thing. Bioweapons are the new weapons. And they will be so custom so custom. I mean, we could talk epigenetics. We could talk about depopulation. That is what those in power want to create something that looks like the hunger games. <laughs> and I've said that before they will because they have the power to do so. So what is important in our nation and hopefully other nations will follow is that the people are actually active within their government. You want to make sure that every but that is in a seat in the Senate and in Congress is looking after you. And the minute, the minute they turn around and do not do what is best for you, you yank that chair right under their ass. Just be like, nope, you can't have it anymore. I said so. You're supposed to be there to do the job for me. You're not doing it. I'm not going to sit there and say, oh, he's so corrupt and complain and have a cigarette with my friend and just bitch about it. I'm going to pull the chair right from under your ass because you shouldn't be sitting in it. That's what we need to start doing because all of this technology is great. All of this innovation is great, but what we have to do is make sure that we control who has the ability to use that. We cannot allow them to steal our elections. We cannot allow them to sit in those chairs and do as they wish, where you're like, hey, vote for this bill, and your congressman's like, yeah, totally, nah, nah, nah. you vote for him, and he's like, yep, nope, and you're like, why not? Well, it's complicated. You just wouldn't understand. You're just a mere nobody.
right? And then the minute they do something like that, that's where you yank the chair right from under their ass and say, hey, you did not do what you were supposed to do. So now you're out. And that is what we have to do because anarchists are working to tear down America. Actually, it's the people in power that are working hard to tear down America. And these idiots that are setting fires, that are doing all these things, believe that those in power will give them what? A cookie, a lollipop, an apartment, a free job, free money? No, they'll kill you. That's a lot faster for them. You're sitting eating dinner in a restaurant with some of your friends on a Friday night. You're deep into conversation when in the distance you hear shouting. You look up and you see a group of demonstrators walking down the street yelling and holding flags that say Black Lives Matter. The group is loud, but you don't have a problem with what you think they are saying. Of course, Black Lives Matter. You agree with that completely. It seems obvious to you. You're against racism. You've never mistreated anyone because of his race. You're not a bad person. So at first, it doesn't occur to you that this mob of angry people might be angry at you. Why would they be? But then suddenly the mob is there at your table, screaming in your face, throwing chairs, smashing glasses, sweeping cutlery to the floor, threatening to kill you. Within seconds, you're running for your life. That happens in our country now. It happened this weekend in Rochester. Here's what it looked like. What did those people eating dinner in Rochester do wrong? No one ever said. No one ever does. Or how about this elderly couple in Pittsburgh? They tried to get something to drink in an outdoor cafe over the weekend. Watch what happened. you old man screams the blm protester and gives him the finger a female protester strides up and guzzled the, the old woman's drink why because she can the ultimate humiliation so what exactly did the elderly couple do to deserve the abuse you just saw what was their crime if you listen to blm you know the answer they live in america they work and pay taxes they support a system that systematically murders people in effect, they're war criminals, guards in the world's largest concentration camp. That's BLM's position. Increasingly, it is the position of the Democratic Party and the position of our compliant news media. You hear it everywhere. What's amazing is how cynical it is. People who say this don't even pretend to believe it. They ignore their own slogans. 
If you really thought America was a white supremacist dystopia, a place where people of color get murdered just for going outdoors, as the Democratic platform suggests is true, then you probably wouldn't encourage millions of non-white immigrants to move here. You'd be too worried about their safety. Bringing in people from Africa, for example, would be tantamount to premeditated murder. You wouldn't want that on your conscience. Of course, in real life, it's all fake. The opposite is true, in fact. Africans thrive in this country. Nigerian immigrants to the United States earn more money on average than native-born Americans. Nigerian immigrants are also more likely to get college degrees than people who grew up here. If what BLM is telling us is true, how could this happen? Well, because they're lying. For the overwhelming majority of lower-income Americans, melanin is not the main barrier to advancement. Education and social class are. For poor people, the main problem is money. It always has been. They don't have enough of it. Their kids have even less. This is pretty obvious if you think about it or if you look at the numbers. But a ruling class doesn't want you to think about it. They don't want to have that conversation. They don't want to talk about economics because they fear it might cost them something. So instead, they promote race conflict in order to divert our attention from their theft. These riots have very little to do with racial oppression. Look at who's rioting. Do they look oppressed to you? Last week, the NYPD arrested a group of people at a demonstration held by a group called the New African Black Panther Party. That's African with a K to suggest maximum revolutionary fervor. Here on the screen, you'll see the mugshots of the people who got arrested in New York. The first thing you'll notice, while they were representing what they called the New African Black Panther Party, none of these people is African. They look like affluent American kids, in fact, and indeed they are. One of them is the daughter of an architect and a child psychiatrist in Manhattan. She's got a second home in Connecticut. Another is a fine arts major who used to work for Pepsi. His last known address was a high-income neighborhood in Florida. Another one of the rioters spent his summers jetting back and forth to Europe. Another has a modeling contract. Yet another is a student at a place called Sarah Lawrence University. That's a holding pen for the dimmer offspring of our leadership class. That school costs almost $60,000 a year. If you go online, you can find pictures of this young committed revolutionary singing show tunes at her local yacht club on Long Island. So these kids are not impressed. It's likely none of them have ever met an oppressed person, except maybe on junior year abroad. So why are they breaking things and hurting people? Because they've been brainwashed into hating our country and hating themselves by a corrupt education establishment. They're also decadent and bored, like so many pampered children. After half a year of authoritarian lockdowns, they're looking for something more interesting to do than getting high and watching Netflix. And also, for many of them, underneath it all, they are frustrated, and rightly so, by vanishing economic opportunity. They sense correctly they will never be as successful as their parents' generation. For them, the American dream has died, so they no longer believe in America. All of that combined probably accounts for the radicalism you're watching. But we don't need to know that because we don't need to understand why rioters riot in order to oppose rioting. We should always oppose rioting, no matter what is justification. These are the forces of chaos and destruction. They're working to tear down our country. That's all we need to know. If we care about our families and our civilization, about the future of our descendants, we have got to fight them like everything depended on it because everything does depend on it. Quote, when compared with the suppression of anarchy, Teddy Roosevelt once told the Congress, every other question sinks into insignificance. The anarchist is the enemy of humanity, the enemy of all mankind. His is a deeper degree of criminality than any other. 
Now, I want you guys to understand this in the concept of the way the Arab nations see, uh, you know, radical Islamic terrorists. They're anarchists to what their cultural and religious belief is. They're taking it and weaponizing it. Uh, you know, one pampered person is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. While people say she worked in a bar, she did that to defy her parents. Okay. Like he said, they're bored, but uh, it, when it comes down to it, okay, they will never fly coach. They will never, ever look at you and they'll be like, oh, seriously, go away, loser, because you are not them, right? They're privileged. You're not. And so what people need to understand is it's their children that are promoting these things because they're the rebels, you know, the, the, you know, I mean, look at, look at the, look at the people running for president right now, right? We have president Trump and Biden, Biden has children, right? Look at the successes of his children and then look at president Trump and his children all ran in the circles with the Hiltons and the socialites and everything. But you didn't see a lot of uh, stuff coming out on them, right? They weren't the drug addicts that were strung out, hanging out on a couch or walking out of limousines with no underwear on and spreading their legs or uh, doing these things, but uh, no Coke addictions. But then on the other side, you see it. See, this is where you can see the... Uh, the measure of what their qualities are. And it um, reflects in the way you raise your children. If you're a parent, for me, my children have been through hell and back. Uh, you know, I was an absentee mom for uh, the majority of their life because of the work that I did. And yet they are incredible because the time that I did have with them gave them tools to, overcome what they were going through, but also be resilient as human beings. And that is what we should be giving our children good foundations to be good people, you know, at their core. Um, and uh, it's important uh, that we don't have, you know, brats. I hate you. Um, this morning after church, I was like, Hey, Let's get a coffee because I got to get going. I got my show. Um, and this is like, we're talking like 30 minutes before I, I went live. And I was like, let's just swing by and get it. So I was sitting in the car having a conversation with the guest that I'm having tomorrow. And so there's two people on the phone with me. So it's a conference call. And I tell my daughter, hey, why don't you go in there and look at their menu? We've never been to this cafe. Um, want to go, I'm just asking you, can you go look at the menu? Like what they have, if you want like a breakfast sandwich or something, go look. And she sat there <laughs> not to be defined. She was like, that's not asking me. That's a command. And I was like, okay, I command you to go and check. So defiance, uh, of a child is identified by the way, the response, the, the response that they give you. So it's, you can see that. So what is the response that you have embedded in that child? So all these successful people and senators and congresspersons and, you know, high socialites, what are their children? How did their children respond to something like that? They'd sit in the car and be like, I hate you and throw fit. Mine just turn around and say, come on, let's just call it what it is. It's a command. And I was just like, 
okay, there's people on the phone listening. I'm totally fine with that. Thanks, honey. (laughs) And it's giving them the ability to think and to, you know, suss out the BS. I was sugarcoating it. I, uh, you know, I just wanted her out of the car so I can complete my thought. Um, And she got that. She said, you should have just said it was a command. But that is how you can see the difference. It could have been like, oh, hey, you're just telling me. It wasn't like that. But those children that you see, that you hear about, that are sparking all these riots are the children that would respond in a way of, I hate you, you know, that make no sense. So much anger pented in because yes, those parents are busy working, right? Because they're doing whatever they're doing and being so successful that they're so absent that they have not fostered something. For me, I was absent, but any moment I had, I would foster. Same thing with President Trump. He has so many children and he's such a busy man, but he still had time right to give foundations to his children and now look at the other side of those people that are screeching that are giving uh, you know bricks to children Uh, their own children are instigating these things paying people to do these things right and they hate the people that they were with i mean like he said there was an old lady sitting there with her husband and they just walk up and take the drink yeah because they can because they feel empowered that they can do whatever they want if they want to they can beat you up because they feel like it they're so angry so lost and it is so sad could you could, can you imagine walking down the street and seeing an old couple and just taking their drink because they owe it to you because you said so or because you can take it away it must be really sad it is really sad think about how they live i mean you know i have so much compassion for those people out there that are rioting even though they anger me beyond belief We're talking super anger. I want to throttle them. But at the same time, how hypocritical of me, I feel really bad for them. I feel so bad for them that they were not loved. They were, you know, my children were not. They had the worst thing you can even think of going on in their minds and what happened in their lives. And, and, And yet... They will not go out there and snag a drink from someone because foundations, at least the little times that were there, were there. These children out there doing these things and adults mean that they didn't have any, any ounce of love or any ounce. I mean, it's just, it's so horrific just to think what they wake up as hating themselves, hating the world, hating life. These are the people that commit suicide. The ones that believe that the world owes them because they never were loved. That's the bottom line. Because if you were ever loved in your life as a child, you cannot find any ounce of ability to do what they did where people are just having a meal and they go and trash it, steal their things, walk up to an elderly couple and just take their drink and start cussing at them. What did they do to you? Where's respect for the elders anyway? But regardless, you know, this is it. They are the unloved generation 
that is easily misled. And, and that is it. I mean, a lot of people say, whoa, teaching manners. I'll tell you what, you know, as a young kid, I got spankings, but I never got a spanking from my father. My father was always the give you the lesson thing ever. And I think love is the best way, not the, let me bend down. Oh, use your words. You know, we have to show actual love and commitment and, 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 and demonstrate that. And these are human beings that haven't seen that because if you've ever seen that in your life, there's no way you would commit these crimes and do this to your nation. Yeah. There's tough love and there's soft love and there's great love, but you know, uh, yeah, mom gave the beatings. Yeah, that's the way it went. But I, I'm just saying, like, there is, you have to understand um, that they're screeching. They're like demons screeching. It's it's so sad. So sad. And we're letting it happen. And how do you deal with it? You can't just kill them. And even if you round them up, that's just going to anger them more in jail. Because at one point, they're going to be released. So then what? They're just going to cause more problems. So how do we nip it in the bud is the question. Roosevelt wrote that in 1908. It was just seven years after an anarchist assassinated the president of the United States, William McKinley. He was Roosevelt's running mate. In some ways, 1908 isn't so different a period in American history as the one we're living through right now. In 1908, America was fast becoming an unstable country. Mass immigration had made the society far less cohesive. New technology completely upended the way people lived and the way they worked. There was a recession underway in 1908, coupled with high unemployment. People were angry at the banks, at big business, angry at capitalism itself. And there was also racial unrest. During one race riot in 1908 in Springfield, Illinois, mobs burned buildings and attacked citizens in their homes. More than a dozen people died. 1908 was a chaotic moment, so not surprisingly, some people became radical. They called themselves anarchists. They believed in violence. In February of that year, an anarchist shot a priest to death during communion at church in Denver. He cited no reason for doing it. He just said he hated Christianity. A few weeks later, another anarchist tried to assassinate the chief of police of Chicago at his home. Later that month, anarchists staged a deadly riot in a park in Manhattan. One of them threw a bomb at police officers. Quote, I came to the park to kill police, he later said. I hate them. Throughout 1908, there was at least one anarchist bombing every month of the year in the city of New York. Sound familiar to you? Then, as now, the radical left leveraged economic anxiety to force their program on America. Anarchists attacked cops and clergy and public buildings precisely because these were the symbols of permanence and authority. They were the symbols of power greater than the mob, so they must be destroyed. The anarchist goal was to topple the nation itself. Teddy Roosevelt knew that. He understood that systems that tolerate anarchy don't last long. If mobs are allowed to attack the police, why do I have to pay taxes? Why do I have to obey traffic laws? Or for that matter, obey the FDA or the EPA or the local health department or anyone else who claims to be in charge? People quickly start thinking like that when anarchists are allowed to have their way. And why wouldn't they think like that? The media is allowing them to think like that. Like these people that are so hurt, 
And, you know, do not take that as a, I'm excusing them for their behavior. There should be, uh, there's always consequences. The point is what you have to do is understand and have compassion because these are very hurt individuals and they are, uh, they are only reflecting more hurt and putting out more hurt. They hate everything. They hate life. They hate everything. And, you know, I think the best way to do it is like, just like some people have been saying military boot camp. That's right. You tell them you either go to jail for 10 years, right? And then you're not allowed to do anything or you go to military boot camp and then you deploy them to some, you know, armpit of the world for a year where they sit there and they, and they decide and contemplate their life. That's the best way to do it. Um, I mean, they used to do that. I think they still kind of do it sometimes when they really need uh, soldiers. But I think we should have, you know, infantry uh, with all of them so they can understand just how great their nation is and just how amazing it is. Uh, because they don't seem to understand how much freedom really means until it's gone. It's like, you don't know what you lost until it's gone. Yeah, that's it. So, um uh, you know, it's great to see that Tucker's taking that trip down memory lane because history tells you everything you need to know and that this has happened before. Remember, um, Grover Cleveland, uh, taking out riots because they didn't like certain things, riots, riots, right? Once they do, things fall apart fast. Society itself was at stake in 1908 as it is now. And Teddy Roosevelt understood it. Our leaders, Democratic leaders, don't understand that, or more likely, they don't care. Chaos serves their purposes. Consider Barack Obama. Obama is a smart man. He's a very gifted speaker. Many people found him inspiring, and it's understandable why. But when the fog lifted after Obama's eight years in office, what was left? A dying middle class, a nation more radically divided by race and by income a population so hostile to their political leaders that they elected Donald Trump president. By any measure, Barack Obama left a wake of destruction behind him. In the end, one of the relatively few who prospered was Barack Obama himself. Obama and his wife became unimaginably wealthy, legitimately rich, with huge estates in different parts of the country. Where did Barack Obama get all that money? No one asks. We're too busy hating each other. Obama stokes that hatred because it helps him. Here he is at the Democratic Convention this summer. Americans of all races joining together to declare in the face of injustice and brutality at the hands of the state that black lives matter. No more, but no less. To the young people who led us this summer telling us we need to be better, in so many ways, you are this country's dreams fulfilled. The young people who led us this summer. It's hard to believe Barack Obama said that. Obama has an internet connection. He sees the news. He knows that the same young leaders he is promoting on stage burned buildings, looted stores, murdered people. Obama is smart enough to know that what the mobs are doing isn't bringing people together, just the opposite. Riots don't heal wounds, they create them. The violence that Barack Obama's youth brigades have unleashed on this country, if anything, increased racial bigotry and distrust. The riots have certainly accelerated residential segregation as higher income people flee the racially diverse cities for sedate monochromatic destinations 
like Martha's Vineyard, where, by the way, Barack Obama himself lives. Like any good arsonist, Obama was sure to exit the building before he lit the fire. Someday, Obama and many leaders like him may flee farther than that. An island off the coast of Massachusetts won't be far enough. They'll be in Switzerland by then or Austria or New Zealand or somewhere where they won't have to live with the consequences of the society that they created. But for the rest of us who plan to stay, we have no choice. We have to fight. Anarchism goes by many names. Right now, it's called Antifa and BLM. But the poison is always the same. And the consequences of imbibing it never change. If we're going to survive as a country, we must defeat this. If we're going to survive as a country, we must defeat this. Defeat what? Defeat the insurgency within our nation? You know, uh, the best way to combat it, and we've used this term before, is coin to counter insurgency, right? We've said this many times here. And it was always about them infiltrating our ranks. And uh, that's something that I wrote about over the weekend. I, I put out a few uh, articles for you guys to see just how horrific they are. They are horrible. And they are really upset, too. Um, here's a short clip of um, Jim Jordan and what he had to say about this. Uh, which was quite interesting the way he uh, stated it, that the Democrats will not denounce the mob because the mob is their cult. They had the the Jim Jones <laughs> cult and not the general, uh, you know, that had the whole uh, Jonestown thing that were doing all the Democrat stuff. You know, Pelosi and Feinstein really, really capitalized on that one. They won't denounce their cult. In a muscular fashion, Jim Jordan, Republican from Ohio. Where am I going wrong here? I mean, I, I think there really has been a role reversal of the political parties. Yeah, someone said we're not we're no longer the wine and cheese Republicans. We're the beer and blue jeans Republicans. And you're right. The Democrats are the Democrats are saying they're going to just take their football and go home if you don't do it their way. And you are so right, Stuart. They want to bail out these states that have got all kinds of big, big financial problems, big debt problems. And they don't want to help families. They don't want to help small business owners, which is exactly what the Republican package uh, Republican package would do. And I don't think it's lost on Americans. These states, you think about what, what the comeback is happening with under President Trump, the great American comeback. That's in spite of the fact New York, Michigan, Illinois, New Jersey, and California, some of our biggest states are still largely locked down. Imagine if those governors would let people go back to work, how strong their recovery would be and help those very families that you're talking about, Stuart. Well, I think there's a revolt going on right now. There's a big demonstration in lower Manhattan. The restaurant people, hey, come on, let's yep. open up. Don't yep. ruin us, please. I mean, that's a... I think the revolt is, is beginning here. I, I Don't ruin us. The Macy's parade is not happening in New York. It's, it's as if de Blasio wants to completely wreck New York City and make it a dystopia of the future. I mean, it used to be the capital of the world. Now it's the, 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 the of the world. I see a real trend towards let's get back to work. Oh, you can feel it. You can feel it. I was I was in Pennsylvania. I've been in Ohio, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin in the last week and a half. Each of those states, you can feel it. People are, are let's get back to work. You, I frankly, you can feel the energy for President Trump as well. But let's get back to work. Let's get the great American economy up and churning and turning at full speed again. What do you make of these dreadful shootings in Los Angeles? And then the people at the hospital shouting, hope they all die. How did we get to this position? And, and may I make a further point? 
I think it yeah. helps President Trump. What do you say? Well, we get to this point when um, so-called Democrat leaders don't hold people accountable. When you have a district attorney who won't prosecute people for rioting, looting, arson, when, you, when, when they won't do that, when you won't hold people accountable. Go back seven weeks ago, Stuart. Bill Barr, the Attorney General of the United States, is in the Judiciary Committee hearing room. He poses a question to Jerry Nadler and the Democrats. Simple question. Why won't you denounce the mob? Why won't you guys speak out against the violence? Silence from the Democrats. That's why we have this. You've, you've got to step up and hold people accountable when they do some, some of the crazy things we've been witnessing in our great American cities around the country for, in Portland's case, now for over 100 days. So this is what happens, this terrible thing. And then to make it even worse, to make it even worse, they won't denounce the mob. They want to defund the police. Then when it happens, this, this tragedy, this terrible thing happens, Joe Biden goes, on, go, goes out and says, oh, now we have to take firearms away from law-abiding Americans. This is crazy. This is insanity. So I think the American people see it. Let's pray for these, these officers who were who were viciously attacked. Let's hope they pull through them and their, their families. Let's pray for all of them. Yes, but indeed. the American people, the American people see how wrong this is. And they see that it's, it's because no one is being held to account when they do wrong. Well, after these shootings, all we got from Joe Biden was a couple of tweets condemning violence. The president was out and about on a campaign swing. Do you think that's enough to flush Joe Biden out of his basement? Who knows? I mean, you know, Joe Biden, it's this president's got boundless energy. He is fighting for the American people every single day. I, I don't know what Joe Biden's doing with his campaign. You know, he needs a teleprompter every time he speaks, it seems. So w we'll just see what what I know is I think the American people understand where we were economically prior to the coronavirus. Taxes cut, regulations reduced, strongest economy in history, lowest unemployment in 50 years for all demographics across our population. I think the American will see that and they see the comeback happening. And they know that if these governors, these Democrat governors would open up their states, this amazing comeback would be taking off even more. So I think they see all that and they understand this president, this president supports our law enforcement. He understands what these individuals who put on the uniform every day, what they mean for our communities and for our country. He understands that. Unfortunately, the Democrats don't. I think that will be a big issue, obviously, as we move over the next 50 days. Uh, we asked for it muscular is a big issue, a very big issue. But who's going to point it out? What are those police officers doing? Think of the role that they play. They play the role of protecting us. Right. When the president can't be there, he's one man. When you can't be there, when your neighbor can't defend you, they are there to ensure that people are not committing crimes. Right. And it's pretty simple. They have the job of policing us uh, because within any population, kind of like when you pick apples. There's always going to be those bad apples, right? On the tree, not because the tree is bad, right? But maybe because they were in the wrong place on the tree or they, they decided that they wanted to be a bad apple. And so to protect, uh, everyone else, there should be people, uh, looking, um, looking out for us. And that's what they're doing every single day. 
Uh, and the Democrats, all they care about is power. They already know they lost the election. They're not getting votes. We all know that. There's so few people right now actually going out and causing all these, uh, you know, riots that they're bussing them around. I mean, they're traveling from other places, bringing them from outside of our nation. And then the UN is starting to peek its head in. And we already talked about that. And there is mitigation for that. But what the, the problem that they're having right now is aside from the fact that they have, uh, lost the elections and they know it, right? They've already lost the election. Uh, they want to steal the election and they will do so. By making you submit. Now, if the, if any of you have, you should get onto uh, President Trump's website and sign up to be volunteers uh, during uh, the election where you actually go and uh, look at the polls. I've signed up. Um, there's going to be training provided and um, you can um, be the defend your ballot team and just to ensure that people are safe. Uh, when they go in. Uh, so it's going to be pretty, uh, pretty exciting for those of you that want to do something. That's something we can do. We can all make sure that we can take people to the polls when they can't go. And, you know, you volunteer uh, to make sure that, um, you know, everything is implemented with full compliance of uh, your area's laws. And, um, you know, it's our job to make sure that our elections are fair and that they are safe. And, uh, that's, uh, something, uh, very interesting to, uh, you know, that's, that's something that we can actually do. Okay. And, um, we are able to do this. So, um, I wanted to, um, to play for you the interview that, uh, president Trump had with judge Janine here, uh, it was pretty interesting. Just over 50 days away. But late this week, I had the honor of visiting the White House and sitting down with the president of the United States for an exclusive interview on the Rose Garden patio just off the Oval Office. Take a look. Mr. President, thanks so much for doing this. Um, Joe Biden has indicated after the uh, uh, Woodward information came out that your handling of the coronavirus and that, that situation was not only despicable, but it's almost criminal. What do you say to Joe Biden? Well, I think a statement like that is criminal because we did a much better job than he could ever have done. As you know, he was months later before he even thought the ban was a good thing. And ultimately, he had to apologize for what he did. We would have lost hundreds of thousands of lives. And what I said to Woodward was actually good. I said, calm, we need calm. We don't need panic. Uh, they want me to jump up and down and start screaming, is everyone going to die? Is everyone going to? That's not what leadership is about. I'm a cheerleader for the country. We need calm. That's all I've said. And by the way, that was done after. That was done after I had already banned China right. from coming into the country. That was in February. So you did I the ban January 31st. So, Janine, I took tremendous steps. Everybody knew how I feel. Otherwise, I wouldn't be banning China. Then shortly thereafter, I banned Europe. We'd saved hundreds of thousands of lives with each one of those bans and saved probably two or two and a half million lives by doing what we did early. So you say that your timing was good, but let me ask you about Bob Woodward's timing. He did this interview with you on February 7th, where you talked about how dangerous the virus was, and yet he waited until September, seven months later, to announce to the American public how dangerous you said it was. Was his timing good? Look, uh, he is a, an opportunist. 
not a bad guy, to be honest. He's doing his thing. Uh, his first book, I didn't have anything to do with it. And he wrote things that were false and untrue, and I could have straightened it out. And I said, let me do, I took quite a few phone calls, 16 phone calls or something like that. And we had some good conversations, not long, but good conversations. And I don't even know if the book is good or bad. I mean, I can tell you that what this says is that I said, don't panic. We don't want panic. It, you know, the press will make everything look bad because it's fake, the fake news. Most of it, I'd say 85 percent, unfortunately, that's the number we're up to. But uh, I discussed with him lots of different things. I think they were very good discussions. We'll see how it comes out. But on this subject, if you look and he's actually being hit because if he thought it was wrong, then he should have reported it early. He, You know, if, if lives were going to be lost, he should have reported it early. The truth is he didn't think there was anything wrong with it. And I think that he thought it was surprising that the press even picked it up. It's fake news. It's all fake news. Well, in fact, when he called you in March, uh, a month later, you said to him, I didn't want to cause panic. And that's precisely, uh, uh, you know, why I, as a leader, didn't go out and just say everyone's going to die. Well, go out and look at the great leaders of the world. Winston Churchill stood on the rooftops in London, very calm, making speeches. Winston Churchill, uh, you want calmness. You don't want somebody going to be jumping up and down. I could do that, too. I could jump up and down, say, oh, this is terrible. This is terrible. We want strength. We want leadership. And we don't want panic. What about the vaccine itself? Now, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and, and the, the Gallup survey that they just did says that the, the the acceptance of the vaccine is pretty much going along political lines. The Democrats don't want to accept it because they don't trust it because it's coming out of your administration. They don't want it because they don't they think it's going to make me look good and it wins the election for me. But we're very close to a vaccine. We also have already come out with therapeutics. If you look at remdesivir and others, uh, the plasma, you take a look at the things that we've come out with already. And the the number were 85 percent better in terms of uh, fatalities. You look at the kind of numbers. I don't know if you've been seeing this, but we're in, we're really rounding the corner. And this is actually without anything further than we already have. And we have some very good things out there already in terms of uh, I would say in terms of you can't use the word cure yet, but pretty, pretty close to a cure. You're going to be pretty close to a cure. The vaccine itself. I mean, it could come out in October, but. Whether it's October, November, December, it's going to come out very soon. We have great companies. They're very advanced and the results are going to be very good. Well, you know, the numbers, you're correct. The numbers are going down. And there's a question as to whether or not the lockdown works, that maybe people need to get outside. Uh, and if the coronavirus cases are dropping and Joe Biden now is coming out and saying, you know, on the advice of a scientist, I would shut it all down again. How do you think that's going to work for him? Well, it would be a disaster. And we're setting records on job production. You know, we, we're 10.4 million for the last four months. Nobody's ever seen numbers like this. We're setting records by millions and millions of jobs. Uh, the country's coming back. It's a super V. It's beyond a V. It's a super V. Uh, retail sales are beyond any number they were ever at. I mean, think of it. We're doing numbers now as we're rounding, I think, the final turn. And that's with, without, it doesn't matter, with or without. Now, having the vaccine is great. It's going to happen very soon. Could happen in October. It could very well happen in October. But we're rounding the turn on the virus. They have to open up. It's only the Democrats that are closed. And in my opinion, they're closed for political reasons. They have North Carolina. You have Michigan. You have a couple of other states that are close. New York. I mean, look at New York, what they're doing in New York, that poor city with the restaurants. You can't go to a restaurant. It's like a ghost town. What they've done to New York and people are leaving. 
is disgraceful between Cuomo and de Blasio. That combination, I've never seen anything like it in my life. It's, and it's, look, coming from New York, it's a very sad thing to witness. But we have to open up our states, totally open them. They're keeping them closed because they want on November 3rd, they want to have the numbers as bad as possible. Based on the numbers that you're seeing, it's not even affecting us. But probably it would be better if these states were open. Forget about numbers, though. The people that are inside those lockdowns, they're suffering between depression, losing their jobs, drugs, alcohol, all of the different things that are happening to those people. That's causing much more damage than the virus itself. Well, what's interesting, you mentioned North Carolina. Voting has already started in North Carolina. They're on lockdown. How do you think that impacts people who want to vote for you? Well, look, I like people to go out and vote. But if they want to sign something, you know, you have solicited and unsolicited ballots. In the country, they're going to send out 80 million unsolicited. In other words, people that don't even know what a ballot is all of a sudden, here comes a ballot. Now, we don't even know if the people are going to get it. That's my problem. Supposing they're not sending them to Republican neighborhoods, mm-hmm. supposing they're not sending them to wherever, or supposing the people aren't giving them back, or they go out and they harvest them. Somebody could be either way, but the Democrats seem to do that. I mean, they played that game for a long time. Yeah, I prosecuted those cases. Well, you, yeah. you so might I'm have to prosecute a lot more. The fact is they're playing very dirty. 80 million ballots. We never had any number like that anywhere close to that. And you're going to see a mess on election night that's going to be it's going to be legendary. And all they have to do is say, go out and vote or request a ballot. Get what's called a solicited ballot where or absentee. A lot of people use the word absentee. Get an absentee ballot where you request it. It comes to you. You vote and you send it back. That's different. But they're just sending out all over. They're sending out 80 million ballots. Well, they're generic. And a lot of people don't know what to do with them. A lot of people have moved. A lot of people have died. The registration rolls. A lot of them haven't been purged. It's a whole problem. No, how about signatures? They don't even want to have signatures. They're not confirming. They don't want to have signatures verified. Where are they sending them? Who are they sending them to? Who's sending them back? Who's sending them back? Well, it's a very it's so unconstitutional. It's so dishonest. And you have states that can't even do small elections. So what can you do about it? Well, we're in courts and uh, many, many courts right now. And hopefully the courts are going to decide because if they don't, you're going to have one hell of a mess on election night. So you talked about election night. I want to talk about election night also. But it brings me to the issue of law and order. Uh, and, And you, when you ran in 2016, you were the law and order candidate. It's almost prescient to think that four years later, that is one of the main issues. So uh, we've got this anarchy going on in the streets. We've got towns and uh, run by uh, and, and states run by Democrat governors and mayors who are refusing to allow the National Guard to come in. There are people in those cities and states who want order to come in. But you can't go in unless they request your help. That's right. Every problem. What are you going to do? Let's say there are there are threats. They say that they're going to threaten riots if they lose on election night. Assuming we get a a, a, a winner on election night, what are you going to do? We'll put them down very quickly. How are you going to do, do that? that? We have the right to do that. We have the power to do that if we want. Look. It's called insurrection. We just send in and we we do it very easy. I mean, it's very easy. I'd rather not do that because there's no reason for it. But if we had to, we'd do that and put it down within minutes, within minutes. Uh, Minneapolis, they were having problems. We sent in the National Guard within a half an hour. That was the end of the problem. It all went away. Uh, You look at Kenosha. Look at the problems they had. In fact, the sheriffs there, the police chief, they're all on my side 100 percent. 
law enforcement all over the country is on my side. And I will say this, look, we have, even with the horrible things that are going on in New York and Chicago, run by all run by Democrats. Everything we're talking about, you know, is run by Democrats. We're not talking about one Republican place. It's all run by Democrats. Even the police chiefs, they're all quitting all over the country. Yes. Every single one, I think I saw 15 or 20, every single one of them is from a, a Democrat city. Look, uh, before China sent us the plague, before the plague came in, we had the best crime numbers in history. Mm -hmm. When the plague came, it changed things. Let's face it, it changed mm -hmm. things. But all of the problems are in Democrat-run cities. They're badly run. The taxes are too much. They, they want to defund their police. Biden is all in that. He hasn't still, to this day, used the term law and order. He's afraid to use the term because he's going to lose. He would lose the radical left supporters that he's got if they even show up for him because there's a question as to whether or not they're going to show up. But they don't want to talk about law and order. One other thing. You have a lot of people living in the suburbs. You know it well. You live in Westchester. You know it well. I ended a rule, a regulation, where low-income yes. housing has been forced into the suburbs. And this has been going on for a long time, but especially so under Biden and Obama. I ended it. I terminated it. Not going to happen anymore, unless I'm not here, in which case they're going to reinstitute it worse. So the suburbs are not going to have these projects forced into them. Mm -hmm. Now, who in the suburbs is not going to vote for me? They're going to make the projects bigger, better. They're putting Cory Booker in charge. I mean, one of the most liberal. The most liberal is Kamala, but Cory's right there. And he's going to be in charge of building projects in the suburbs. You're going to destroy your suburbs. It's already happening because you see what's gone on. You see what they've done. They take over the zoning and they force projects, projects, really terrible situations. So the cities are being destroyed. And be, uh, the combination of lawlessness and the pandemic shut down New York City and uh, now the suburbs. But, you know, well, the suburbs is going to be next. Look, yeah, the I, suburbs of yeah. people, these same protesters, but they're not protesters. They're anarchists. They're agitators. Who and they're they? rioters. Who are they? Uh, they're people that in many cases are paid. By whom? And then they're stupid kids. Uh, Who are they? Who's paying them? People that we're looking at right now. We're looking at them right now. Can you tell me? No, not yet. But I'll you'll be going to be finding out pretty soon. Look. They're stupid people, too, because they'll be overthrown as soon as they get their wish. These people don't respect them. They're just using their money. These are super liberal people that have money and they're helping these anarchists and their agitators and their dangers. Did you see what happened over the weekend with the people walking up to a restaurant and grabbing the grabbing steak their, off the plate and, and biting the steak and then dropping it down yeah. Two elderly people having dinner? at a restaurant and they walk in and they take a steak and they take the potato and, and they eat it. And that's exactly the problem. Now you're waiting to be asked in. When does that, when is that change? When do so, you cross the Rubicon? Well, in Kenosha, they asked me in. Right. And we did a job like nobody's ever seen before. But if they don't ask you when, there are not American to do people it who Unless want you it. do insurrection, in which case it's just not big enough for insurrection. You won't do insurrection before no, election. You don't need it. You don't know. Not yet. Oh, I'd be willing to do it in a heartbeat if you needed it, but we don't need it. Our National when Guard. When do you need it? Our National Guard is so good and so tough. But they've got the Police departments in places that we're talking about, Seattle, we were going into Seattle. And they solved the problem the night before we got there. Yeah, we were getting ready to there. go. They heard we were going in. Do you hear Ted Wheeler's numbers? Like 20 percent in uh, Portland. Ted Wheeler's a disaster. He's right. a laughingstock. He went out to protest with the so-called agitators and they were going to destroy him. They were going to beat him up badly. He fortunately had security, but they were going to beat him up badly. The man is a disaster. If he would say 
come into Portland, within a half an hour, the whole thing would be solved. He's not going to say that. Uh, the governor's gotten closer. Look what's going on out there. That's I will tell Kate you, Brown, the it? governor has gotten closer. I spoke to the governor two days ago. Good. They're arresting a lot of people. Good. Now, we sent in the U.S. Marshals for the killer, the man that killed the young man in the street. She right. shot him. I mean, it was yeah, intelligent. Cold-blooded killed him. He didn't like his hat or he didn't yeah. like something. And it wasn't a Trump hat. Right. It was peaceful. It was prayer. It was a lot. It was a religious hat. Right. And he shot him cold blood. Two and a half days went by. And I put out, when are you going to go get him? And the U.S. Marshals went in to get him. Good. And in a short period of time, they ended in a gunfight. This guy was a violent criminal. Out of the mouth. And the U.S. Marshals killed him. And I will tell you something. That's the way it has to be. There has to be retribution when you have crime like this. There can't be guys standing up that want to fight. They want to fight. But the, you can't throw bricks at people with shields. But or, the problem, Mr. President, you and I both agree. The problem is there are now prosecutors who are not prosecuting yeah. the protesters. Yeah. This is like a, a grassroots level. They're being funded yeah. by socialists who are now electing people like I used to prosecute crime. They're, they're, they're letting them go. So what's going to happen, and this is a shame, you're going to have a backlash like you've never seen if these people don't stop. Because you have very smart, very tough people that aren't going to take it anymore. And once they say we're not going to take it anymore, it's going to end in a very vicious backlash. And that's a terrible thing. How does it end? How do you guys think it ends since uh, we can't see it from Judge Janine? It's not going to end well for them. It's really not. And we're seeing them, the actual ringleaders, the people that, you know, want to ensure that they're in power. Those people are freaking out right now. And I'll tell you why. So I, I published an article about Trachtenberg. Um, he was actually deputy at uh, the Pentagon. He's a career official. He was in charge of dealing and counting and addressing civilian deaths outside of the United States during wartime or any operations. And when we're speaking about civilian deaths, we're speaking about not just the locals, uh, you know, local Iraqis, Kuwaitis, Afghanis. We're talking contractors. So a uh, very um, broad misconception is that the USA Today reporters that were attacked uh, by um, the military industrial complex at the behest of the Pentagon, Leone created fake websites, started calling them names, attacked them, called their employers. Uh, you know, this whole charade happened in 2012 to take them down. People were talking about it as if, oh, it's because Leone owed taxes. And that was the, you know, that was a soft sell, kind of like Monica Lewinsky was a mistress that she wasn't really raped kind of thing. Because what they were really investigating were the increased deaths of civilians in Afghanistan while Leone was executing contracts in Afghanistan. And this guy covered it up. And this guy working for the Pentagon, okay, keep in mind, he was working for the Pentagon and was responsible for civilian deaths, not only covered them up, right? But he also, get this, created a PR firm just to put out PR stuff for the military industrial complex camp of Leone. <laughs> like, 
How weird. And so this guy was fired from the Pentagon recently, and they said he was retired, right? But right before he left, he got himself a seven million, well, 6.9 million to be exact, contract with the Pentagon while he was still working there right before he left. How is this even allowed? See, the president wants to to take out the troops from everywhere. Listen to Tucker, how he explains it to you, how he wants to pull troops from the Middle East. You know why? Because the majority of those troops in the Middle East have to do with contractors' weight. It's going to get even better. Because we're going to talk about, I'm going to mention a name, and we're going to be doing a whole segment just for that person. Because this is where it comes down to it. We are protecting these contractors, uh, these military industrial complex. Jones, I am so onto you. You don't even want to know. Man, that general needs to hide. Because when I say this name, those of you that can search will find out exactly what happened. Wait till I put it into perspective, though. So let's take a listen to what Tucker has to tell us about withdrawing the troops and then think of the trillions and trillions of dollars that the military industrial complex will lose. Welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. Here's a fact that'll make you blink. We are now approaching the 19th anniversary of the arrival of American troops in Afghanistan. They're still there. Despite repeated promises from politicians on both sides, they're not going anywhere for the meantime, and Americans are still dying there. That's true in Iraq, too. We've had troops in Iraq for 17 years. Why are they there? No one knows why they're there. At least no one will say so out loud with any clarity. Many thousands of American servicemen are deployed in many dozens of countries around the world and have been for generations. Now, in some cases, there may very well be a good reason they're there. In many other cases, though, we just don't talk about it. You're not allowed to. In Washington, mindless interventionism is very much a bipartisan project. Both parties support it. Just this summer, Republicans and Democrats reached a rare moment of unity. They joined together to demand that we keep thousands of American troops in Germany, where they've been for 75 years. Why should they stay another 75? Well, presumably to keep the Soviet Union from invading Hamburg. Maybe there's another reason. No one mentioned what that reason might be. The more troops we send overseas, the better. That is one thing virtually everyone in Washington agrees on, except Donald Trump. Trump, whatever you think of him, does not agree. He does not believe that. And he said so for the last five years. Trump has been talking relentlessly about bringing the troops home from countries around the world. And maybe more than any other single reason, talk like that makes official Washington hate Donald Trump. Last night, the White House announced that we're finally bringing home many American soldiers from Iraq and Afghanistan. And you would think there would be widespread celebration. That means families united, Americans out of harm's way. But very few in Washington are celebrating. The press corps, including some people who should know better, are still busy telling you how much Donald Trump hates the troops and wants them to die, the guy who's bringing them home. Add that to the irony file, which is bulging. So what exactly is going on here? Well, one clue comes from the Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense, a woman called Laura Cooper, Cooper testified before Congress during the impeachment proceedings last year. And during those proceedings, she said that Pentagon officials began receiving, quote, phone calls from industry. In other words, calls from private companies that produce and supply weapons and military hardware to our military. After the White House put a hold on high-priced military aid to Ukraine, 
So weapons manufacturers wanted more weapons flowing into Ukraine because they wanted to make money from the sale of those weapons. It's not complicated. And they knew they could pressure the Pentagon to override a decision by the democratically elected president of the United States. That's what they did. This happens a lot, and everyone in Washington knows it. On Labor Day, the president finally said this out loud. He called out the defense industry for the first time in decades. Watch this. Biden shipped away our jobs, threw open our borders, and sent our youth to fight in these crazy, endless wars. And it's one of the reasons the military, I'm not saying the military is in love with me. The soldiers are. The top people in the Pentagon probably aren't because they want to do nothing but fight wars so that all of those wonderful companies that make the bombs and make the planes and make everything else stay happy. So there's a lot of truth in that. And the president of the United States would know. Just like the article about Trachtenberg, please share, please read it, because you should be pissed. This guy just got $6.9 million of federal tax dollars you have for a stupid Overwatch company. Oh, that none of the media <laughs> talked about because he put an old photo of him looking all young and stuff. Well, now I'm going to introduce you to someone. So, you know, I watch a lot of stuff and... um this is totally not a political person. Uh, I uh, watched this young lady a few times. Uh, she does uh, makeup tutorials. And she had this video where she does, she does makeup every Monday and she talks about crimes, you know, murder mysteries. I want you to just listen to these few minutes because we need to talk about this. Do you know what? If President Trump takes this case and he blows it up, he wins every single black vote there is out there. I just want you to listen to what the contracting company, because it was a contractor, it was stars that was responsible for this, right? Covered this up. Take a listen. This is crazy stuff. Thing that really bothered Lavina's father was that there was no rape kit done. They didn't do any fingernail testing. So they hire a criminal investigator to take over the case. They know that they're not going to get anywhere with the army. They're not going to get the answers they want. And they just have to do it themselves. They find themselves up against the United States Army who will not budge on their findings. They want nothing to do with the case. They're not just going to willingly hand over any information about Lavina unless they have the proper documents. Family eventually does get some documents regarding Lavina and like what had happened. So these documents contain the crime scene images. They haven't even seen the crime scene yet. I'm sure nobody wants to, to see that, but it's important. They finally receive these images. They are just the worst and lowest quality you can think of. I'm talking, if you look at these images, it's like black and white, Xeroxed, grainy. You can't really make out what anything is. Nothing's in color. It's like they just didn't even try to give the family the proper images. I mean, why would they? They're obviously hiding something, but it was just kind of, it's just ridiculous. It's like, really, this is, this is what you're sending me. All you can see is like shadows, but even from the shadows, they could tell it doesn't make sense. So they see like the grainy, like a shadow of Lavina's body, but they notice that the gun is on the other side of that cot. So it's like, okay, this right away. Yeah, you sent me this grainy photo, but I can tell right here, this doesn't even make sense. 
So another finding in these documents that the family received was that there was no gunpowder on her hands, on Lavina's hands. There were witness reports saying that Lavina was raped and that she was also being treated for an STD. So this is the first time now that the family's hearing about this. So what happened? What was the outcome? Who did it? It just left him with so many more questions, no answers. When he asked anybody from the army, they would always just give him the runaround. I mean, even with all this evidence thrown in his face, in their faces, they still were like, no, she committed suicide. Just so you understand, Lavinia, right, was a soldier. She was deployed in Iraq. She was in the communication building. Who was in Iraq at the time during the communication buildings with the contractors? That's right. So here is where it gets interesting. Lavina Johnson was raped, didn't tell her parents, her father's former army. Calls him up, says, hey, don't put up the Christmas tree. I'm coming home, right? I'm going to be coming home right before Christmas. So don't put it up. I want to decorate it with you. And she's really sad. You know, she's, no one's giving her any respect or anything. And then she's found dead in the contractor, um, you know, quarters, with a gunshot supposedly to her head and that she killed herself with her M16. Wait, here's where she breaks it down really, really well. This should be, make everyone angry. And so I've been watching this and this story has been kind of dead for a while. And I was looking to find more stuff about Lavina Johnson, um, you know, to send a letter to the White House and say, hey, Maybe we should look at this because this will blow up the military industrial complex, pretty much take it all down. And, uh, you know, people will commend you for, uh, you know, bringing light to this. This is horrific, you guys. So they told her family when they sent her body over, closed casket. It's a real hot mess. And they didn't. It was fine. It was a small bullet wound considering that she supposedly blew her brains out with an M16. Side. Nothing we can do about it. Case closed. So in the documents that they received, there was a random page and it was a Xerox copy of a CD-ROM. Now, a lot of people would say that the Xerox copy of the CD-ROM was an accident, that somebody just mistakenly like Xeroxed this CD-ROM and like threw it in there. But the family believed that this was like somebody trying to give them a hint or a clue like there's actually a lot more to this and they're hiding it from you and it's on this CD-ROM. So of course the battle begins trying to get this CD-ROM because the U.S. Army is not just going to hand it over. No, they're not. Lavina's father is asking, okay, I need this CD-ROM and they're giving him pushback like we'll give it to you but you need to get like you need to go to court and get the correct paperwork to essentially get this. And it's not just an easy process, of course. The army comes back and says that they can't release the CD-ROM because it has, you know, other people's names on there. And they have the right to um, their own privacy. You know, and then Levine's uh, father comes back saying, well, now I want the, the CD-ROM even more because if this has to do with my, my daughter's death or giving me answers as far as what happened to my daughter and these names are in there, then I have the right to these people's information and their names because they had something to do with my daughter's murder. The U.S. Army still said, you know what, we're, we're not going to give this to you. And if you want it, you can get a lawyer and come after us. Johnson family ended up going straight to congressmen for help. So they just like one-upped him. So they went to Congressman Lacey Clay. Two years later, they finally get the CD-ROM. Two years later. 
it had the original pictures in color of the scene of the crime. And it pretty much showed, um, it was all photos of Lavina, her body, her surroundings, the gun, her body, I said that the autopsy, like her body laid out um, with no clothing on before they did the autopsy, her body after the autopsy, it was just like picture by picture of the whole process. These photos were just hardcore proof that she did not commit suicide, which the family already knew. In these images on the CD-ROM, on Levine's body, you could see that she had bruising and cuts to the face, like she had been struck by a blunt object or instrument. Her elbow, it had been popped out of place, like you could tell it was dislocated. On her backside, it was covered in mud, dirt, debris, like she had been dragged like across the floor, pictures of blood outside of the tent. The images of her where she was fully undressed showed even just more. There were burn marks on her hand and her back as if someone was trying to set fire to her body. She had so much like bruising on her stomach. It looked like when she was down on the floor, somebody or people were trying to like beat her up on the floor, kicking her. And if that's not bad enough, the worst part of all, her lower regions, her genitals, there was acid poured into her lower regions as if somebody was trying to get rid of any type of DNA evidence. So once again, here's the family like calling them up like, okay, so you're telling me that Lavina beat herself up. I'm sorry, this isn't phone. Lavina beat herself up. Okay. She took off all her clothes, attempted to set herself on fire. Then she poured acid into her lower regions, put her clothes back on. She then must have dragged herself across the dirt. And then finally, after all of that torture, she shot herself. So you're telling me that's what happened. What a joke, right? So, you know, the U.S. Army is like, well, this case is close. It's a suicide. We're not reopening it. Okay, so there's actually more. As if that all wasn't bad enough. So on the CD-ROM, there are more images. And in these images, it shows that Lavina's tongue, anus, and part of her vagina were cut out. Um, none of this was even reported on the original autopsy report. And the theory is based on the cuts and wounds around these areas is a material called wound stat was used on her. This material wound stat is used in the field when someone is shot or hurt. It's a liquid that goes into your open wound. It hardens and what it does is it prevents more bleeding or just blood loss in general. In order for it to be removed from the body, it does have to be surgically removed. So you can't just like take it out on your own. So it was believed that the wound stat was placed into these areas. It would cover up any more like DNA evidence because it would have to be cut out. Like you can't just take it out. So, so her family, they have done everything they can to keep fighting and they are still fighting the entire like U.S. government to try and get answers as to what happened to their daughter. They just want the U.S. government, they just want this to go away and they want absolutely nothing to do with it. They still have it listed as a suicide and they report that there was no foul play with Lavina's death. I don't know if they have fully gotten closure on what had happened to their daughter. I was kind of trying to figure out like where the family is now and I couldn't really find too much that's recent. They were doing a lot of interviews um, for a while up until like 2009, 2010 and then they just kind of like stopped. So 
I hope they're okay. I mean, I'll I'll keep a lookout, of course, before I upload this video. And I'll put anything I could find regarding the family in the description box below. Like if there's any way we can donate to help. I don't know, just something for them. I feel like, I don't know. I don't know. You know, Lavina like stepped up. She went to the army. She was paying for her own school. She was really smart. She was an honor roll student. She was just doing the right thing. She was following like her father's footsteps. She just wanted to go to school. That's the only reason why she signed up for it. And in return, she gets murdered and then covered up. And then like the family is just completely dismissed. Like nothing they are saying is credible and that they're crazy for even doubting. What benefit does the military have by not acknowledging this? Like that's what I have a hard time understanding. I mean, yeah, I'm sure it doesn't look good on them. This, where they're covering it up and not even acknowledging that they have issues going on inside the military, it's like makes it look worse. So I don't understand why, why, why? I don't get it. Anyways, I hope a lot of my rambles make sense. And I'm not trying to discredit the military at all. Like if you were in the military or if you know someone who was in the military, I'm not trying to say like they're bad people at all, that that's not what I'm trying to get at at all. Um, I applaud you joining the military and serving the country because it's honestly something that I could never do. Um, I just don't have the balls. I'm a bitch, like realistically. It takes a very strong person to do that. But I do think like there are there are issues going on in the military and why can't they bring it to light and why can't they fix it? I just don't understand. I'm very confused. Again, I apologize if this was kind of like all over the place. I was really trying my best here, but I'm Dayquil. I'm not feeling well. Let me know what you think down below on this story. Rest in peace, Lavina. And I really hope her family found some kind of peace. I hope that you have a good day today. Please make good choices out there. Be Okay, so I watch her for the makeup and the uh, the creepy stories of a murder. Uh, I, she's a great storyteller. Uh, I've been watching her for a while. She's got like 2 million followers. Um, and all she does is like murder mystery stories. Um, there is a clip of um, her dad on the Rock Newman show. I'm going to be putting together an article um, talking about Black Lives Matter, and I'm going to bring this up uh, because she was found in a contractor's area. And I'm telling you, it was part of the military industrial complex. It was a private contracting thing, and they covered it up. They tortured that woman. They tortured her. It was horrible. Five death of Army Private First Class Lavina Johnson. The military says it was a suicide, but her father, Dr. John Johnson, and family attorney Donald Watkins, both guests on tonight's show, counter it was a murder and a massive military cover-up. That's coming up on The Rock Newman Show. Then I'm going to get out of here and go to college which is what I should have done in the first place. Mm -hmm. Secondly, she said, I'm going to start a new job on Monday and I'm going to have to go to a class to find out what that job is. Mm -hmm. I'll call you on Tuesday and let you know, and then we'll pick up where we can, when and how I can call you. Mm -hmm. The third thing, we have a tradition every uh, Saturday after the Thanksgiving holidays, we decorate the tree, me and my two daughters. And it was a tradition. Mm -hmm. She asked me on the phone, don't decorate the tree 
because I'm going to be back in the States. So I'm going to see if I can get leave to come home for Christmas. I had two witnesses that knew her in Iraq. They told me that same Sunday night, which was the 17th, they knocked on her door and she didn't answer. They came back on the 18th of that morning to pick her up to go to class. They knocked on the door. She didn't answer. So they went to class. They said by 10 o'clock, she didn't show up. So they reported her missing. And so she actually was murdered the same night that we talked to her. And that was the 17th of July in 2005. The army came to my house on the 19th and said she died of a self-inflicted wound. They didn't tell me how I did a preliminary investigation and I found out she had been shot in the head. Okay. You get a knock on the door. I mean, right. this is obviously something the military families, they, this is the most dreaded yeah. of, 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 of events. Yeah. Who's there? You and your wife? Or? We were in the bed. It was 730 in the morning. We got the doorbell rang. I jumped up and I was wondering, I wonder who's coming here this time of the day. My wife looked out the window and she said, oh, John, there's a soldier on the porch. And I thought, oh, man. So she said, what does that mean? I said, something happened to Lavina. So I come down the stairs and I open the door and I'm expecting to see a chaplain or an officer or somebody like that. It was a staff sergeant. So I immediately thought, well, then it must not be that bad. But then he said, are you Mr. John Johnson, father of Lavina L. Johnson? And I said, yeah. He said, is your wife here? My wife was standing up on the balcony of our home. She said, what do you want? He stepped in my foyer. He said, I have a message from the Secretary of Defense. This morning, Lavina L. Johnson died of self-inflicted wounds. I'm standing there looking at this man. I, I just I was totally shocked. I fell back on the steps. But thank God. That lasted about five minutes. He stood there stored the whole time just looking at me. So I said, what, what, what reaction did your wife have? My wife collapsed. She's, it was the, the, the belling and the grieving. It was so horrible. Woke up all the kids. Uh, my sons, they live in the basement. They ran up the steps. My oldest boy ran to me. The one next to him ran up on the balcony. So they were trying to come. She was just, somebody done killed my baby. Somebody done killed my baby. Okay, just give me just a moment, because I knowing that you were going to be on the show today and, and your attorney, Mr. Watkins, I had some extensive conversations with the military, with the criminal investigation division of the military. Mm -hmm. And I have an official statement from the Army, and I will read it in part because I have to do this Correct. in the sake of fairness. Um, in part, it says the Armed Forces Medical Examiner investigated the death of PFC Lavina Johnson, who died July 17th in Iraq. It performed an autopsy while her unit and the Army's Criminal Investigation Divis Division conducted simultaneous investigations. The Johnson family has received full disclosure of the autopsy and investigative reports. The Army stands by the conclusions stated in these reports. We have to date thoroughly investigated the case and our official opinion has been captured in congressional records. Uh, they go on to say, if uh, no words can ease the continued pain of PFC Johnson's family, there is no set time for anyone to grieve. Our deepest sympathy continues to go out to the family. And they also say if any creditable evidence is presented, that there would be a willingness to reopen this case. So you get that 
tragic, horrifying knock on the door and the message attendant there too. Obviously there's great pain. You that supports suicide. I found everything that supports murder. Have you found anything that would support a motive or have you found yes. what you yes. think might yes. be a yeah. motive? Yes. And when we, when we talk about motive, it is why the, she was killed. That's exactly right. Yeah. Why she was killed. Why was she killed? I had to back up a little bit and say, okay, these guys are not idiots. People who investigate these crimes are not idiots. There's no way you can miss all of the things that I have just mentioned to you and pursue a paper thin suicide theory, unless you've basically been told that that's the, the official spin on this death. And uh, why would somebody want to classify a homicide as a suicide when all of the evidence suggests murder. If she was killed in a murder, they wouldn't do this for some private or some defense contractor who happens to be on the base. The only way you could have this much evidence ignored or overlooked and sometimes just uh, tampered with is if this involves somebody really, really high in the chain of command. So I want you to understand really, really high is not a staff sergeant, it's not a first sergeant, right? And she was found in a contractor's uh, place. I want you to know that prior to that event, she has actually, she was being treated for an STD for being raped. She was raped in Iraq. She was raped and that was on the books. That was documented and they didn't even investigate and that torture came afterwards. And just so you understand, she had left uh, her work post, you know, locked up the communication center because that's where she would hang out in the communication center. Um, and then uh, uh, she was supposed to go to like uh, PT training. So she never turned up for PT training. So then they went looking for her. That's basically what happened. And they found her in her PT gear too, uh, not in her uniform because apparently she had gone back to her quarters, changed, put on her PT gear. And that's where, uh, so you have the time that it happened right there. So it would have been, after she left her home heading for physical training. And so I, that took me over next to the chain of command. Who's in the chain of command and who in that chain of command has problems? And so it didn't take long to find who was in the chain of command. I didn't even know about the notes that uh, Lavinia Johnson had written down, her handwritten notes. I just shifted over who are the big dogs on that base and do any of them have problems? And so I did. I found one that was a, uh, a general and he had real problems, real problems. And, uh, and before people tell me that generals, you know, they don't do crazy things. I just want to remind you that David Petraeus, the highest general over there in that, in that war theater, he had problems too. He was screwing uh, another woman while he was married and he was hiding that. And eventually that is what forced him out of government service. And so he did a lot of stuff to conceal that. 
and he did crazy things in the course of his love affair with Paula Broadwell. David Petraeus did. Yeah. And so uh, I, I know that these people are human. You know, they have clay feet. They're over in war zones. They're away from their families, and they do, do, do things. Then I found one that had a similar infidelity problem. A, a, a one what? you General. Found? A general. A general had a similar infidelity problem. And uh, was this general in on the campus where she was? According to the where she according was, uh, to, where she died, according to Lavina's own handwritings, he was. OK, now about I certainly don't want to usurp what you're trying what your Facebook journalism. I've read two fascinating articles that you have written. Mm -hmm. I know that you're coming out with another one. I've done two segments. I got one more you, to do. You have one more. Yeah. Segment number one I establishes this was a murder. It was not a suicide. Segment number two, the motive was Private Johnson inadvertently, when she took an early morning stroll, stumbled upon a love affair in progress involving a married commander. The problem with the commander is he had been ordered to cease this love affair and he chose not to do so. He chose to make it more clandestine. So trying to piece the trying to put the pieces to this puzzle together even before today, mm -hmm. uh, you know, our research team did come up with an article about an individual mm -hmm. That Ariana Huffington wrote in the Huffington Post. Three weeks after the murder of Private Johnson. In a rare, in a rare act. So I'm gonna I'm gonna ask I then I so I have to ask you the question this way. Go ahead. We know the name of that person, of the person that uh was was there that evening. Mm -hmm. What did it mean to you when you got that handwritten chain of command? Did that mean anything to you at the time when you got it? Uh, no, it didn't until this person's name came to my attention at least three times. Then I went back because I had her notebook mm -hmm. and then I tore that page out and I enlarged it because we, we did our own investigation on my team and we discussed it during a debriefing and, and we pretty much, he was the person of interest. I want to, can I say something? Please. A couple of things I want to just kind of piggyback on uh, what Attorney Watson has said. Lavina was dressed in a jogging shirt, jogging pants, jogging shoes. She had an infrared reflecting belt around her waist. And she had people waiting on her to go jogging. So whenever this episode took place, which she discovered, that's where she was on her way to go jogging. I even asked the Army in Lacey Clay's office, you telling me my daughter dresses in jogging clothes, walks across the post, go in a contractor's tent, by the way, that's off limits to military personnel. And it's in the record. They ask a witness, what was the purpose of that tent? And they said, the contractors took their break in it. Are you getting this now? So you're saying my daughter dresses in jogging clothes, 
then walks across the post to go in a tent that's off limits, stick an M16 rifle in her mouth and shot herself. And you contend that that's a liable statement. And they sat there and said, yes. And I thought I was thinking to myself, God, well, we're in trouble because that's not even logical thinking. The other thing is I'm a veteran and I'm very familiar with the M16 rifle. If a person, I, I used to do be a drug abuse counselor for the Army at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, okay. and one of my clients committed suicide. Mm -hmm. He was about six feet. Mm -hmm. He put that M16 rifle in his mouth and shot himself, and he blew his face off. Lavina got a little bullet hole on the top left side of her cranial, up over the left frontal lobe and left eye. You could see the path of the bullet coming down. So... That's that's not even having to be a forensic expert to see that for yourself. And the logical standpoint of nobody jumps up just all of a sudden and decides today is a good day to die. What was the piece of information about a, a bullet being lodged in her in her tongue? Was that well, what, what happened there is this. Uh, if it was an M16 stuck in your mouth, you know, the bullet's going out the, the head. And the back of your head is blowing off. Yeah, pretty much so, yeah. But you would find the bullet somewhere. Yeah. And so I looked to see had the bullet been found. No, the bullet hadn't been found. If it is a 9mm pistol, which is what officers carry, yeah. shot from the top of the head with the track that uh, Dr. Johnson just described, then the bullet is likely lodged in the tongue. And so uh, we look for the both autopsy reports because I, I had both. And the tongue, part of the tongue had been removed. That was what we learned from the second autopsy report, the one that, the, that was post-exhumation. Uh, mm -hmm. Then I go to the first one, the military's report. There's no reference to the tongue being removed. So the, the resting place of the uh, 9-millimeter bullet is likely in the tongue, but the tongue is no longer part of the body. The tongue is somewhere we don't know where it is. And no, there's no explanation for that anywhere in the military thing. Some vague reference to, you know, uh, some vague reference, but no reference to we cut our tongue out, and <coughs> we got it in formaldehyde, and we're going to save it in case somebody needs to look at it later on. There, again, this is public information if one searches. Okay. There are statements made by your team that goes further even than just what you're describing as murder, mm -hmm. that uh, her private parts were compromised. Yeah. Tell us about that. Okay. The Army's contention was that my daughter was a whore. She was screwing everybody. She came down with a sexually transmitted disease, which they described as condyloma. They sent us in the black and white Xerox copies of the pictures, included a picture of her vaginal area. Now on that picture, we couldn't see it very clearly, but my brother looked at it and he said, there's something in the vaginal vault, and whatever it is, it's gotten hard. It had her wedged open that far. 
We thought it was lime because we thought that was a substance of, of convenience because she was found in a contractor's tent. But we kept researching and researching. And then we came up with a, a, a wound stat that's used in combat. And she was in Iraq. When a soldier gets wounded, they pour that powder in that wound and it collagulates. It gets hard. The only way that you can get it out once it's settled is to have surgery and cut it out. The second autopsy that we got, and it's stated in the autopsy, part of her vaginal area and part of her anal were surgically removed at the other center. That's exactly at how the other center. What does that mean? I didn't do it. This was the second autopsy. He's saying I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. They did it. They did it the first autopsy. They did so, it the first. And the, the, the Missouri official mm-hmm. who said the his findings was inconclusive. Right. But he did memorialize that her vaginal area was removed by surgery surgery also her tongue that's where the assertion about her tongue being removed it was in the same autopsy the armies not the armies armies, i know i know know. that's 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 uh, that is the end that's um that's missouri yes that's correct the army mentions the removal of the tongue and the um, vaginal does area, not, or does not? Does, does not. not. Why do you, Mr. Attorney, why do you think that was a mention? Uh, I don't think you have to eat the whole cow to know you're eating beef. I think that uh, obviously there was a clear effort to cover up this murder and to frame it as a suicide. And that's kind of hard to do if a nine millimeter bullet is lodged in the tongue. As we shared with our audience Mm -hmm. that this show was upcoming, Mm -hmm. we said that the two of you, frankly, were aligned against the most powerful force in the world. I would rather say we're aligned with the truth. Yeah. And and whoever. Oh, I didn't didn't mean aligned. You were against. You were fighting against. The most powerful point in my, my my point is as an attorney, yeah. as an officer mm-hmm. of the of court, the court. Mm-hmm. you know, who has a law license. Right. What concerns do you have about the backlash that may come your way because you're making some explosive claims? None, because I don't make them if I can't back them up. I've got enough experience doing this stuff. I've been against a lot of powerful institutions and entities. And when you are covering up. You can't think of everything. And when you've done 43 years of this work, you've seen just about every kind of technique used and you know what to look for out of this. I don't need to go ask a bunch of witness statements. Let me take what you give me and let me take your forensic stuff. And generally, the answer is going to be there in what you give me. But in this case, it was even better because there was a whole set of other factors going on. Uh, in Washington, D.C. that related to people who were in Iraq, top commanders who were in Iraq, that explained to me greater the motive of what had happened. And usually when there's a cover-up, it's only for big people. It's not for little people. We are about, as the crow flies, about two and a half miles from mm-hmm. the White House. And then Barack Obama, this will take about 20 seconds because he's a lawyer too. You know, you can look at it. This is Barack not Obama didn't care. How did I end up? in this predicament. Um, I didn't cherish this fight, but I knew I 
after we looked at it, we had truth on our side. You know what they need? They need President Trump. That's what they need. So the reason that I'm bringing up Lavina Johnson is because we need to expose the MIC for what they are. Trattenberg is responsible for civilian deaths or contractor deaths, not only those that die, but those that do the killing. So it's very important that we bring this up. It may not happen today, may not happen next week, but I gave you that name just like I always do because they will be coming up. So I am, uh, you know, starting, well, I started a couple weeks ago putting together some information and I'm trying to reach out to the lawyer and to uh, the father. I'm trying to find them. I've been, and so I thought, what better way than to have a bunch of Anons and digital soldiers know her name? Because this is something that we should be curing. They have so much power that they can manipulate our military to cover things up that are so atrocious. The woman, just so you know, they told the family that she committed suicide. They told the family that she had put the M16 in her mouth and the bullet came out of uh, the right side of her head. That's what they said. For those of us that have actually carried an M16, you know that if you put it point blank, that's what happens. But I'll tell you what she did have. She had cuts and bruises all over her face. Her front teeth were loose. Her nose was knocked out of place and reset. Her genitals had acid on them and they were cut out. Her tongue was cut out. The size of the bullet hole and the damage that it caused was very consistent with a nine millimeter. Not only that, she had dirt and rubbish on her back as if she dragged herself out from the woods into the contractor's area which is always off limits. And she shot herself with the M16 that was on the other side of the room. And considering she did it with her own, she must have done it with her left hand, even though she was right-handed, to exit the way it did. So all of these inconsistencies, the fact that the autopsy that the military conducted did not document the removal of her genitals, her anus, and her tongue, also claiming that she was in such bad shape that it should have been a closed casket. And then the question is, why did they glue gloves onto her hand? They glued gloves onto her hands. And this woman had complained about rape earlier. She didn't want to alarm her father. She just assumed, I'm new, I'm young, and I, whatever. They tortured her. They raped her. They beat her. They acid burned her. And then they killed her. It sounds disgusting. But see, here's the thing. We, the people, are in charge. We, the people, will make sure that there's justice. See, Barack Hussein Obama (laughs) A man of what? The minorities? I don't think so. This is where we get into action and make sure that our president holds them accountable 
because the perpetrator is actually very rich right now, extremely rich off of our federal tax dollars, of course, and everyone else that helped get this done. So I thought I would leave you with that, something completely different. And um, this is something that will be coming to the forefront later, not right now, but it will later. And um, it will happen because we said so, right? We said so. That woman joined to serve and was tortured. And those people are getting rich off of our money. On that note, I'm going to leave you guys with that. And I will see you tomorrow, same time, same place. Believe me, I don't want to set the world on fire. I just want to start a flame in your heart.